This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. The Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 233 for May MMXXIII. Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperback. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. 
So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, sometimes I think this is two out of two, maybe. But if you are a person who just writes into the show, you may be granted access. This happened for good old Professor uh, Carolyn Coca. And now here we have someone. Now, there is a crack in the multiverse, which has allowed this to happen. But Shana from Earth 2 has come to visit Earth Prime. So welcome to the show, Shana. Thank you, Stella. Honored to be here. (laughs) Talking about some comics. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. <laughs> I feel like, you know, we do the email thing and this is like a whole new yes, level. Absolutely. Just stepping it up. So thankfully that crack exists in the multiverse. Uh, hopefully it doesn't get wider because we know that um, crises do happen. But here we are. Uh, and I appreciate in your background, you even have two framed issues of Birds of Prey. Yeah, those are I I'd have more up, but those frames are really expensive because they're like UV protected and made yeah. comics. But those are from Terry Moore's gift, and they're signed too. I don't know oh. if you can see it, but everyone okay. who like Terry Moore signed them, Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palamati, and Phil Noto who did the cover. Oh my so god, I really love them. Yeah, that is awesome. So I know you've talked about your history with Birds of Prey probably on one of your first emails, but what is your history with comics? How did you get into reading them? So I've always loved comics. I mean, we can go back to when I was a kid and I would just read the Sunday comics. Garfield was my favorite. I had so many Garfield books. <laughs> and then I really, I was raised on a lot of anime and manga. So my first experience was a lot of like Japanese and Korean comics too. It wasn't until college I started getting more into superhero comics and American comics. And I think a lot of that had to do with that was when there was sort of a revival in superhero films again you had I remember the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man first Spider-Man was coming out when I was in college so I think there was just more it was more on like the zeitgeist so I kind of took it in and I really got in I I loved like Harley Quinn comics and yeah Batman comics were great and then uh, eventually yeah, I kind of just wandered into kind of just went from there you know wandered into different things and I kind of got out of college didn't really think about them for a while and then sort of in the last few years I've, I've rediscovered my love for them. So besides Batgirls what are you picking up on the monthly? Currently? Yeah. Nothing really. Okay. I don't like a lot of modern comics these days. However I did pick up a number one of the new Green Arrow, mostly for Black Canary. I love Black Canary. And I did pick up Spirit World because I wanted to see what Cassandra Cain would be doing in it. So I will probably be following those. I was following the Blue Wall for a little bit, but I couldn't find the newer issues at my comic book store and I kind of lost interest in it. So uh, those are the newer comics. Yeah, Yeah, I've sort of weaned. I feel like your trajectory and mine are are very similar. I will say that because I'm wearing a Captain Marvel uh, hat to represent that crazy stuff is going on over there in Marvel where they're killing off Kamala Khan and not in her own book and not in Miles' book, but in ASM and uh, the internet has rightly exploded. Maybe the people can use their power for good this time and I'd... I don't know, but I think it's a bad look because how many Muslim characters do they actually have? Or heroes, I guess I'll specify, but to do that, yeah. So perhaps modern comics are just going downhill, but I think DC is kind of in a good place. I mean, Nightwing's really good. I'm kind of interested in what Tom Taylor does with Titans, so it goes back and forth all the time. Yeah, yeah. I know nothing about uh, Marvel. I'm strictly yeah. like DC. Like, I know okay. a little bit, and I know characters because of the movie and the TV. Like, I've seen a lot. Like, I've seen the Ms. Marvel TV show and yeah. stuff. 
I'm not really familiar with any gotcha, of these gotcha. comic books. So I did do a survey on Twitter, and this is kind of connected with the last thing that I'll talk about as my intro. I know the good professor doesn't like long intros, but here we are. Uh, because I wondered about sort of the people who listen and their gender identities. And so I asked, you know, how you identify and had the four big ones. I know that there were more that I could include, but it seems primarily males are listening to this show. Now, only 19 people, I think, voted. So hopefully more than 19 people are actually listening. Not everyone's on Twitter, which I certainly approve of. Does this shock you that my audience is primarily male? Is Barbara Gordon bringing all the guys to the yard? Is that what's happening? I guess I'm not super surprised because in my general experience, I feel like like the women in my life don't know anything about comics and they're uh, not interested. So I guess yeah. from my perspective, I'm not surprised. It's mostly men because I think that's generally targeted. Com- I mean, there's more diversity now and there's yeah. more attempts to get women and people of other genders involved. But I guess it's not shocking to me just based on my own personal experience with comic books. I'm the only woman in my life and most yeah. and I know mostly women. I, I know a lot of women and I feel like I'm the only one who yeah. So. yeah, I mean, Email I was, or otherwise. yeah, I was shocked that one of my colleagues, I had worn a Birds of Prey sweatshirt on Thursday. And so she started to talk to me about that. And I was like, Oh, wow, I had no idea. So maybe all of these like women are just in the closet, and we don't know about it. But yeah, I would say that I, I thought that it was getting better, because it certainly was a male dominated world. And there was this gatekeeping involved. But I felt like with the Marvel films, it's been more accepting. But I think also a, lot, a large number of my audience are coming from sperm and crawl space and have stayed with me. So there's probably that. Mm-hmm. I am super excited though that one person, at least one person is trans. So I am very happy for that. And maybe two females looking at the percentage. So my final thing is I told Donovan I'll do this. Donovan has a spicy Instagram. Now he says that it's to track his fitness, which is true. I don't know how he's not gotten banned. In, in fact, some of his images, a friend of mine and I on our way to New York City actually did a deep dive into Instagram's guidelines and like it literally says that he should be banned by now, but he's not. So he would, however, like more followers because currently it's all of his ex-girlfriends, me, Harry, and a bunch of gay men, and I guess a bunch of Russian bots. So I said, I will be glad to tell people about it. So on Instagram, if you want to follow him, it is Dono Dark, and that is D-A-R-R-K-K. And so this is a safe image, but I'll show you. Look at look at what Donovan's doing there. Embarrassingly, I was in line, uh, in the VIP line for Ellie and AJ. I was going to post something. It was after I had met them. And there was a black man behind me, and I pull up Instagram, and immediately I'm assaulted with basically a naked picture of Donovan. And I was really embarrassed because I didn't want anyone to think I was like fetishizing a, a black body. So that was the only time that I've been embarrassed to, to pick that up. I also have a spicy Instagram. However, it is very fitness based and I've nowhere close to what Donovan is doing. But no one's going to find that and I'm not going to be publicizing that. So just so you know. Okay, we're moving on. Look, the intro is done. So now we move on to Find Your Joy. Shags, mac and cheese, the comfort and joy. So what has been giving you joy in these times or even during COVID since I don't think I spoke to you post-COVID. So what had brought you joy during those times? 
Ooh. Well, I, I think currently I'm just happy the weather is getting better and I'm getting outside. We had so I've had so much snow this winter and I am no, I know it's Dolly shaking your head. You're so jealous. <laughs> I can't believe it. When I, I think of the state in which you live, um that is not my thought of snow dumping. So I, I should have apparently gone there. Well, yeah, I mean I live in the mountains. Oh, okay. So I, I mean people when they think of yeah, where I live, they don't necessarily associate it with mountains and snow but but I live I live in the high desert so okay I get lots of snow and it was too much this year and so I'm just happy the weather is warm and I can be outside again and the sun's out that that makes me happy and like I have a, a backpacking trip coming up in very beautiful country petrified forest which is like open wilderness so you're not backpacking on a trail you can just go anywhere and that's for my birthday so looking forward to that as well but after yeah. you told me about that I googled a little bit because really you're like the terrain in your state. I really have no idea kind of what it was. And so I'm like looking at it, I'm like, oh, this is this is lovely. And now Google has suggested different trails and things that I could go on. <laughs> well, so I'm just saying, maybe that's a sign. <laughs> yes, that I should pick up a yeah, backpack. Yeah. I mean, I would love to do obviously after reading Wild, I think that's oh, yeah. that's the PTC is something yeah. that I would love to do. The AT, uh, which is, you know, back door I think is great I the issue is like finding someone to go with just because I do a lot of things alone just because I'm not going to wait for anybody or try to find someone but that's one thing that if I'm doing overnights I think I would like to have you know a travel companion just for safety purposes I don't know Cheryl Strade was a badass the fact that she did it all by herself yeah um, first time too oh my goodness yes yes <laughs> so perhaps she got wrong <laughs> yes she was not uh the best prepared but it did turn out yeah yeah, I, I do love that book and that story. Uh, shout out to Required Reading. If you're interested in hearing Tom and I talk about that, we did a nice little arc of memoirs that were talking about travel. I think four episodes and then did a special where he and I went on a hike and then had a conversation. So that, that was a great time. So my first, are you finished? Don't want to cut you off or anything if you nope. have any others. Yeah, okay. I'm good. I have four things. Yeah, they're all quick. So first of all, finish my semester. Uh, this semester was a doozy. Yeah, thank you. Oh, uh, some of my like close friends know especially this one class that I was just fighting for my life trying to make it the most insane class. It's the 17 page exam week three. I came out okay with two A's, A pluses really. I have to show the people one last thing on this. I don't think I've shown this at all actually, but the final portfolio involved 10 different documents that we had to do. And one of them was a performance task and a rubric. And so I've done performance tasks. I've done rubrics. She, my teacher of record, is saying you need to color code your rubric. And so for the workshop, I refused to color code the rubric. This was our exemplar. She said, use this as as a model of how it was nuts. So you have your KUDs. So, you know, what do the students need to know, understand, do? And then these color coding need to match the entire time on directions and then the rubrics need to do this. So I'm looking through this that week and thinking there's no way. So I refused to do it because that wasn't going to be a grade anyways and wait for her feedback and then color code it for the portfolio because I knew I had to do it at some point. I went through so many iterations on both the performance task and the rubric. The performance task was annoying because I kept getting knocked for an inauthentic student role. 
And I was super excited. I was like, the kids are playing the role of virtue and they're trying to convince this modern artist to represent them in a show to show that virtues are still enduring and things like that. She's like, that's so then I changed it to being an artist in Emperor Augustus's time and Emperor Augustus has commissioned them to be an artist representing this virtue because of course he's all about the moral. No, that doesn't work out. So then the last time was, okay, you're a documentarian and you're talking about virtues in modern society and you're focusing on, and that one worked. And then the rubric, I, my gosh, I had this one rubric, scrapped it because of the color coding because I knew I couldn't do it and did a single point rubric, was pretty happy. She said single points aren't allowed in this assignment. So I scrapped that, went back and uh, started a new one from scratch. I actually got a 100 on that portfolio. So I don't, I try not to brag about things, but I just have to say that surviving that class, pat on my back for that one. (laughs) So I just have four classes left. I'm taking one this summer, which I'm excited about, young adult literature. And then I'll have two in the fall and my final one in the spring, which gives me time to uh, pursue licensure in the spring and also start applying for jobs. So that was nice. Fast and the Furious series. I rewatched all of them in preparation for Fast and the Furious X, which I saw on Thursday. Uh, it's nuts. It's awesome. I suggest go see it and I'll stay off the socials if you are, you know, a diehard fan. Shockingly, I've become interested in fashion. Uh, I'm not saying I'm fashionable. I have kind of my own style that I, someone says like, you have an interesting style. I like that you just like do what you want and work I'm like, absolutely. But I've been watching Vogue's A Life and Looks on YouTube, which have been very interesting. Um, like Salma Hayek, you know, come on and they give them a book of, of different uh, big pieces that they've had and they talk about it. So I'm interested in that. And that was actually good research for when I continue with the women over at Dear Reader because there's some big fashion uh, things that go there. And then finally, if you're interested in seeing me at a Comic-Con as if I'm a celebrity, uh, I am going to the Heroes Con, which is in Charlotte, June 16th through 18th. Shagalicious will be there, which I'm excited about. So those are all the find your joys. <sighs> okay, that was a lot. So now we're doing some birds of prey. So this is basically the last nice episode. I think that's even how I described it to you when I emailed you. Before I get into war games, I've never read war games. I know enough about it to know it's not going to be a pleasant experience. So this is why I thought, let's let's do this. So we're doing this arc between Dark and Dawn. And I immediately was confused picking up the first issue because if you recall at the end of issue 68, Barbara tells Helena she's going undercover in an elementary school. Do you recall this? Is it? Yeah. Now, did she actually say, was she being serious or was Barbara being facetious? Because I always thought it was like a joke. Like, I've got a tough mission go- coming up for you, Helena. Because I don't think she uses the words, you're going undercover, does she? She kind of like is kind of snarky about it. Well, I wish I had my thing with my actual okay. issue. You, you might have it. Yes. But I'm pretty sure she says as a teacher, because it connected with something where Helena uh, had just discussed how much value she felt found a mini teacher. Right. And then I think the very last panel, now correct me if I, I don't want a woman's spine, correct me if I'm wrong, if you find it. But the last panel is her in front of a class. Yeah, yeah, she it is. And then hold on, I do have it. So Barbara calls Helena and she's like, Helena, I've got an assignment for you and I'm afraid it's a rough one. And then you see her in front of the class with kids. So I interpreted that as like her Barbara being kind of facetious and being like, you know, it's a rough one. You're going to go teach. But not that it was like a mission that she's going to go undercover. Okay. Okay. 
Well, if we go with your interpretation, then that works out. If we go in with my thought that it was an actual mission, then we leap to cultists. It doesn't make sense. It yeah. does not make sense. <laughs> but so we can we can go with yours. That's very interesting. But then here's my question. Why is Barbara involved in finding substitute teachers for the school system? I don't know. I thought that was more just her helping Helena out, knowing that, okay. you know, Helena oh. was once a teacher because she gets Dinah that that's true floral shop because she has that conversation with her dad where her dad's like, hey, like you have these high, you know, your your high risk co- job colleagues, you know, yes. like playing yeah. coy like he doesn't know, um, which that's no, a topic. I have now switched to your side. And yes, I know. I think that is that does make sense now yeah okay so yeah Thank i think you. she yeah she got the space for dying yes. for the floral shop and then she's like oh helena you know gets this fulfillment out of teaching children i'm gonna if she's okay. an agent of mine i'm gonna help her with yes that. okay thank you very much for clearing that up for me uh-huh. that makes a lot of sense Okay, so there are five issues in this arc, and I'm going to do the plot synopsis, and then we'll talk a little bit about each of them, and then save like kind of the big beat and the overarching ideas and themes for the end of everything. Some of the synopsis comes from DC Wikia, some of them do not, because I had to add things in and change things. So uh, we'll start with 69. If Don or Harry were here, they would say nice. I still don't understand that but they would. You can explain that to me later. I mean, I understand about the first thing, but not why it is always nice afterwards. Okay. So Birds of Prey 69. Also, I think they were pumping these issues out. I did not do research on what was actually going on, but it seems like two were dropping each month. Do you know anything about this? Maybe in prep for war games and trying to get everything out? Yeah, I do not. I do okay. not read this as it came out. So Okay, know. so never mind. That's my fault. I, I'm just lazy and don't do research. Okay, so Birds of Prey 69, Between Dark and Dawn Part 1, early September 2004 is cover date. Writer Gail Simone, penciler Ron Adrian, inker Rob Leia, and color Hi-Fi. Three teenagers dressed like dead heroes. Those heroes are Donna Troy, Tara II, and Robin II, and commit suicide. Barbara Gordon thinks these are murders, not suicides. She sends Huntress to Kinder Pines, Oregon. Huntress goes into a bait shop, and when she reemerges from the shop, the local police are waiting for her, saying they suspect her car is stolen. Huntress determines that these are not real cops, and she starts fighting them. Huntress is captured and taken to Second Haven Redemptive Farm and Garden. In the meantime, Gordon tells Black Canary that all three of the teens who committed suicide were once treated by or members of Second Heaven Redemptive Farm and Garden. Donna goes to a parent of one of the murdered teens and confirms this. Barbara tells Canary also that she has someone inside the organization before Hunt who can help Huntress when she gets there. The members of the organization believe that Helena is a Ms. Crenshaw, a reporter for the Daily Planet. And as I was reading that, I was thinking, you could have actually gotten Lois back team for a little bit. As she delivers an initial and positive report on the cult, Huntress gets into a scuffle with the guard and the other guards come running. Vixen reveals herself and Helena believes Vixen is about to help her, being the undercover help that Barbara mentioned. But Vixen goes the opposite opposite way, grabs Helena by the neck and lifts her off the ground, seemingly under the control of the cult. Okay. We'll start with the cover. 
Oh, is yeah. that so rainy? Uh, when she's saying whatever, kind of got an attitude on her face. Very Huntress. And Very two, Huntress. Yeah. Two boys in blue behind her. It looks like one of them's on his knees in the rain for whatever reason. Thoughts. Uh, oh, her crossbow is down there. Thoughts on this. Yeah, I don't. It's not my favorite cover. In fact, none of these covers for this arc are which is why I think like subconsciously it's why I don't own any of them physically. Okay. <laughs> so I have a lot of birds of prey because when I was looking for prep for this, I was like, do I have these physical issues? And I was like, no, and I probably just didn't want the covers, honestly. Uh, but it, this one, it's, it, I mean, I just, I hate this outfit for Huntress. It's, okay. so, it's my way. least favorite. And then the cops are like firing at her and I'm like, well, if they're firing at her, why is she standing there? Or why are they firing at her? So... <laughs> There are many questions. Not my favorite. Yeah, but the rain, they got the rain right. And oh, yeah, the rain's cool. at a, Yeah, gas station. What is the purpose of having a a cutout in the belly? Now, is it the same as having a cutout? <laughs> I'm just asking. Because no, the, the chest for Power Girl, even though we can complain about it, did have a distracting purpose, you know, for the yeah, guys to be distracted right, and then her to right. kind of knock them out. But I don't, I mean, I guess your eye tends towards the I don't know. Her abs need the freedom and the breeze. Yeah, I mean, it might be more just like it would be so shocking because, yeah, you're right. At least with the chest, it's like, oh, like that could be like a tool Yeah, um, for obvious reasons because, you know, people might be like attracted to that or distracted. But maybe with the, the abs, it's more of a distraction. Like, wait, why? And like doing a double take or maybe you just really like abs. I don't know. I know Gail's, I know Gail's explanation, how she wrote it right was like, like, well, when you do this many crunches a day, you want to show them off. But that was the in-story explanation Gil Simone gave. I mean, that's... Did you see Ant-Man Quantumania? No, I have okay. not. I was going to talk about, I think her name's Katie O'Brien. But even her, because, yeah, that lady has abs. I mean, it's not this weird sliver. It's like the sliver that gets me. I mean, if you want to wear a crop top, I'll still complain about it. But at least it's a crop top <laughs> and it's like even. But it's just like very bizarre. Yeah, I don't. It's one of the reasons why, like, I don't like this outfit for Huntress. Because it's just, it's it's so weird looking to me. It's not even that it seems like it just feels so weird. Because you're right, it is just a sliver. And yeah. Okay, well, we'll move on. Not the most successful. Successful. Helena gets a lot of screen time, so we'll be back in the next issue to talk about that. So what sort of portrayal do you think we're going for here with how Huntress shows up in Oregon? And the reason why I ask that is because she complains immediately about how she is dressed and the weather and everything, even mm-hmm. though she did that herself. Uh, she's supposed to be a reporter, obviously, but she did she not think it through when she was told Pacific Northwest and what that may have entailed? Do you have any thoughts about what she's wearing, I guess? Should we have any negative thoughts about her character right off the bat? I mean, I guess, yeah, she didn't really do her research. I, she did say, she does sh- say she brought a, a spare change of clothes. Yeah. And we do see her in that spare change of clothes. I'm pretty sure in this issue. So maybe she wasn't expecting the rain. Okay. Or maybe she just decided to trust Barbara and take her out her, at her word when Barbara was like, pack light. But again, was Barbara being serious or was Barbara being funny? I don't know sometimes. <laughs> trial by fire. This was the trial by fire. So yeah, that is. Yeah, I didn't really have too many thoughts about it. Honestly, my mind just goes to like, well, it's early 2000s 
you know, of course they're going to make, of course, Helena is going to be dressed like this because why would, like, why wouldn't she? Yeah. Um, just from, uh, you know, the perspective of how women are, you know, drawn and what they're dressed in at the time in comic books. Yeah. These. Boots. Yeah. The boots. And it's like, yeah. Oh, muddy. I mean, he's it's very. Like clearly <laughs> not. Yeah. I don't know. I guess, yeah, when I think Pacific Northwest, you know, Oregon, Washington, I would think, oh, the chances of, especially with Washington, the chances of rain are pretty high and also cold because I think she comments Mm -hmm. on that as well. I don't know exactly what month it is, but... Yeah, I, I guess, obviously, I agree with you about I think it is the time period and like, hey, we're going to dress her in this way. And she certainly has the freedom to do that and, and you know, power in her femininity. But also, w- when I'm reading this, I'm like, are you incompetent? Did you not? And I don't want to think of Huntress or Helena no. as incompetent because I don't I don't believe that that's character. So that was interesting. Lots of sexist comments. And oh, so yeah. I did say after this one, you know, let's see if it carries through. And it certainly does. Do you think that this is like the, the cult? Uh, because the, the cult leader does not seem like a sexist man, like how he addresses Helena and all his children. It seems very pleasant. Obviously, we we know we'll get into that. But like the people, the townspeople, and in particular, the fake blue boys um, yeah. are very sexist. Is that what's that coming from? Just like, is this maybe a criticism on religion and how sometimes, yeah, they're going to be called a Jezebel or something like that? You know, I didn't, I didn't think of it from a religious angle that'd be coming from the religion. I guess I just kind of thought, well, it's Eastern Texas or Eastern Texas, Eastern Oregon, yeah. which is very different from Western Oregon. Okay. And known to be very conservative and rednecky and probably as a result, sexist if we can generalize. And maybe it was just more of like the culture of, of Eastern Oregon or in like just I didn't necessarily connect it with the cult at all, yeah. especially because the cult leader didn't really seem like he had those. He wasn't making comments like that. Yeah. Not that I can recall. It was just, yeah, it was, the, it was the guy at the gas station that she stops at. And then you were like, yeah, the fake officers. Yeah, the fake officer driving says, I don't talk with women who wear makeup anyway. It's unclean. So just shut up. And she's rightly flummoxed and it's not like mascara is contagious yeah no that that is true um or you know i knew someone from or i dated someone from oregon and it was interesting to me how very much like a cowboy he seemed and it was weird i there's like this disconnect i was like why is it like it's virginia so i'll do much on that the east versus west divide but yeah. i did know that there was a kind of a country aspect to it uh just from that first did helena know do you think that there was an inside man because barbara obviously knows and it didn't seem like Helena knew, but at when Vixen is actually there, she knew that it was Vixen. So were you confused by that? Was that an inconsistency or do you think Helena just, she knew, she was told by Barbara? Yeah, I I was confused about that, I think, as I read later on, because it definitely seemed like Helena was thought she was going in there alone. So yeah. when she seems to know Vixen's there, I... Uh, it didn't make sense to me. I thought maybe I missed something. And then final question from me, if you have anything to add, please do. Uh, thoughts on her clothing? Uh, sorry, Vixen's costume, this particular era. I never knew that she wore something like this. I actually looked at her costume history to see, and it is, in fact, uh, one of her legitimate costumes. Do you have any opinions on that one? I don't know Vixen well enough as a character. So okay. to me, I just saw it and I was like, oh, Vixen, okay. <laughs> 
I it was I guess my primary relationship with Vixen is through the Justice League animated series. And so that one Mari has short hair, like very I mean she looks very like Halle Berry. And Mm -hmm. the more orange yellow suit. Oh yeah, it's like a jumpsuit. Yes. Yeah, I'm used to that. So having her in braids and this full bodysuit, almost Zinda-esque in how it like buttons up a little bit. And the totem, which he seems to never use in the particular story, but with that is thoughts. Any other thoughts on this particular issue? I thought it was a good setup. I really like this arc in particular, and I think the setup's really good because I think it, you know, we talked a lot about Helena, but Dinah has a very interesting role too that I think is yes. is and maybe that's those are thoughts to save when we talk about the story as a whole, but it's very suited to her character and her strengths to, you know, be the one to talk to the families of the kids who have died by suicide. And uh, I, I liked seeing that. And I think, yeah, giving Helena kind of a, a chance to prove herself too. Yeah. How often do we see Dinah's humanity? Would you say uh, across the board, I guess, in Birds of Prey, like this is a very human moment for her. And even her coming back from it and talking to Barbara and saying how hard it was, was also very interesting. Are you talking just about in Gail Simone's run or throughout? I guess we can. Well, you can take it both ways if you would like. Yeah. Because I think I think consistently throughout Birds of Prey, we see her humanity a lot. I think it's one of her defining characters. And Gail Simone definitely, I think, takes that to the next level Mm -hmm. in her run. I'm trying to think back on the last arcs and issues in Gail Simone's run for specific examples. Well, she was the one who was mostly working with Steph in that very brief time that Steph was there. That's true. She did have a hard hand at some point with that. But yeah. Do you feel like that's her role on the team? That Dinah is kind of the heart of the team? Yeah, I, 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 and I feel like I can't have come up with this myself because it, it seems so obvious to me. So I might have like lifted this from someone. But the way <laughs> I've always seen it when it's come to Gail Simone's run, I, and not even at this point, but with her run is that, yeah, Dinah's very much the heart. You know, Helena's the brawn and Barbara's the brains. Okay. And that's how I've seen it. And together they make a full human being. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts? Uh, I don't think so on this issue specifically. Okay. And then the next issue. You know, we don't see that old man again, the one that was trying to advocate at the gas station, which I thought that was yeah. a bit of a, I mean, maybe he's unimportant, but I kind of wanted him to reappear at the very end. Yeah. I don't remember ever seeing him again. So we'll move on to 70 again. Huntress heading for uh, <laughs> her time. Time to shine there. That looks... Okay. We'll we'll see if that's a realistic body pose. Okay, so this is Birds of Prey 70 between Dark and Omar 2. Huntress slash Prey. Late September 2004 is Red Girl Simone Penciler at Benes. Uh-oh, you know what that means. Inker at Benes and Colors High. Babs gives Simone and Creote a place to live in a neighborhood destroyed by a drug lord. She wants to teach him empathy. Whoa! And have him clean up the neighborhood. Otherwise, he's back in the slamma. Vixen and Helena Bertinelli fight. Helena shoots Vixen in the leg. The the fight is broken up by the cult leader who gets both women medical attention. Huntress radios Babs again and says that she's still not getting a vibe that the leader is evil. She finds her rental car where she stashed her uniform. Uh, I her wonderful costume. She also finds a building on the compound that is locked and she breaks in with a rock. Shout out to my favorite episode of Batman, the animated series with Almost Got Him. Anyone else want to go? Hey! There I was, holed up in this quarry. When Batman came nosing around, he was getting closer, closer. And? I threw a rock at him. 
So, Harvey, what became of the giant Benny? It was a big rock. Anyways, uh, she finds multiple metahumans hooked up to machines. There's a computer terminal, and Babs gives Huntress directions so that she can hack in. Maybe she's better at computers than Dinah is. Suddenly, Barbara is attacked through her computer and begins having some sort of seizure. We're going to be talking about this stuff. And Dinah provides medical aid. Vixen arrives at the building that Huntress is at and seemingly kills her. We'll find out. Okay, we'll begin with Savant. So first of all, teaching him some empathy. Is it possible? Oh, sorry. Actually, pause. Time out. I'm so sorry. Let us begin with the cover. We have to begin at the beginning. You didn't stop me, so it's uh, clear you don't like it. I it just, says... No, I, I hate it. It's not even... Backfire. It's not that. should even, say back broke. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, her leg, it's... Look at this. It's I half know. of a rectangle. I know. It's the worst. <laughs> I just... It's not even... You know, when Helena finds the metahuman hooked up they're not even in that position they're all like laying down flat which makes sense and i look at this and i'm like oh this is clearly just so like her breasts are you know defined and she's in that she's in a weird like pose and i i hate it (laughs) yes it is odd and yeah it is it almost connects to a little bit to this one with the connection. Yeah. And yeah, I think later on there's an even crazier one with Barbara. I think that's later on. But but yeah, it's clearly a tie to, but it looks like an engine. It does. Like and it, it confuses me too, because it's not like Helena's ever hooked up to anything. Is yeah. she like, did I miss something? Like, it's not like that happens in this issue. Cause she doesn't, she doesn't, she's not a metahuman. She doesn't have any superpowers. So right. that was just an interesting choice. At least in the next issue, that cover makes sense for what happens and what we see happen. Yeah. I mean, Geoforce is just in a little tree pose or a yeah. T pose. Is that what they call it back there? But anyway. Okay. So certainly no not, on the cover. It's certainly not bent over what looks like a car it engine. It is not. Yeah. No. Okay, well, so thumbs down for you. Okay, (laughs) teaching Savant empathy, is it possible, do you think? I think it's possible. Okay. But I am forever an optimist, and I want to believe that people can learn empathy. So I want to, and I would like to think anyone can learn empathy. And so I think, I think it's possible. I don't know if it's possible in this method that Barbara's suggesting, you know, has set up in this plan of, you know, giving him a little like section, like a little neighborhood to take care of but she might be tapping in when you think of savant's history like she is i think tapping trying to tap into that past of his you know he wanted to you know he wanted to be a crime fighter originally Mm -hmm. and then he went too far and him and and i don't remember the exact details but like batman didn't approve because i think he he killed or something so there is that potential in him that i think barbara is trying to tap in with this I agree. I think sometimes I, as a teacher, am subversive in the way that I teach empathy, depending on what the topic is, depending on what my audience or the type of students that they are. So you can't sometimes be obvious about it or very direct. (laughs) You kind of lead them into it. And then by the end, you're like, aha, gotcha. You know, that's empathy. And so in this way, she is very much tapping into that history. You're right. Um, Almost making it a competition because she even says, like, clean up these streets and you'll have done something that Batman has never done because that's how bad it is. And so 
through, like he's going to do it. Well, I mean, we'll find out, I, I guess. He has like an intention of something, but perhaps along that journey at the very end, he'll like learn what that empathy is. So I think Barbara is kind of pulling my tricks of and knowing, knowing how to meet him where he is. Yeah, I think so. I think she's got like a, a master plan and she's using some some tricks. She always does that, girl. Always. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on Barbara enacting this plan with Savant without having spoken to Dinah beforehand? Did she not learn from the conversation that they had in the park about right. her bad experience, Dinah's bad experience, and not really agreeing with that? I mean, she kind of goes with that, goes ahead with this plan and then tells Dinah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I... And I must be thinking ahead to further down the line, but I thought Dinah was more upset, would be more upset by this. You know, instead she kind of, you know, even though Barbara's like, you just say the word and I'm just going to stop or we don't have to do this. And Barbara and Dinah, you know, she doesn't really give a reason, but she's like, no, I don't want that. And and I thought Dinah put up more of a fight. I thought there was more of a conflict between them, but maybe I'm thinking of something else. I think from a storytelling perspective, it's very interesting because it gives that conflict between those two characters, which yeah. I really enjoy as far as like an in-story do I think like it's 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 reflective of Barbara's character and that relationship she has with Dinah? She should have said something. Or what would I what do I think about that coming from that kind of perspective? I am kind of surprised. I would have liked her to have talked it more with Dinah. Again, I'm not really sure the reason why Dinah is still okay with it. Like she seems like she's not like she's not. Especially if you go back to last the issue you covered last last month last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't, I kind of feel like I lost your question in my. Oh, that's no, I just, um, I mean, like, what was I trying to answer? No, I think you answered it. Uh, I'll restate it in case you want to. So basically, in 68, they had that confrontation about um, Savant, that whole plan where she broke Savant out of jail so that they could help because that mission was really going to pot. And Dinah had a problem with that. And Babs is like, that, that, I just had to do it. And, you know, yeah, he's free, but we'll watch him. And so she goes ahead with this plan and then she's kind of telling Donna but you know why didn't she should she have had this conversation before like here's my plan I think we should utilize uh, Savant and this is what I'm going to do what do you think but it, we don't see it maybe it happened but it doesn't seem like it happened from this dialogue yeah I will read the dialogue for those people not in it uh, Donna says well this has all the earmarks of a classic train wreck and Bad says I hope not enjoy the feeling of the sun on your skin you utter creep as Donna uh, he broke my legs and chained me to I know Donna Say the word and I'll drop the plan and take my chances that he'll reveal what he knows about me and what we do. No, I don't want that, is what Dinah says. Dad continues, we needed him to get out, which is, of course, that uh, mission. Right now, he's a devil we know, but know him we do. He's being monitored like no one else on Earth, Dinah, I promise. And it's just barely possible he'll do some good. I don't have anyone who can patrol that area for seven. The people there, they deserve that. And then Dinah says, Babs, no one believes in second chances more than I do. I mean, yeah, she and Hunter there. But I have a gut feeling that this will end. So she's clearly not on board, but she's like allowing it to happen. Yeah. And I guess that now having you reread that dialogue, Dinah's response to Barbara saying, hey, like, I'll drop it if you want me to. I guess the when Dinah's like, no, I don't want that. It was she was speaking specifically to uh, Barbara talking about, oh, well, if you know, he might reveal everything like our identities and what we do. And I guess that's what what Dinah was was responding to. But there definitely is some conflict there about Dinah because she has very personal feelings, understandably so, what Mm -hmm. he did to her. Yeah, uh, I think that this might be a little foreshadowing. 
things. Oh, well, yeah. And we, I don't know that I necessarily recognized how much that situation where she was kidnapped, chained to a bed and her leg broken is trauma- as traumatic as it should. And I think Gail has done a good job. I guess this is like her pre-Barbara Gordon PTSD, PTSD practice. Because even in this arc, Dinah makes mention, I can't remember which issue it is, where she's about to go to an address to a teen that is about to commit suicide. And that was, and she even says like the last time this happened, you know, she had. so it's clearly staying with her. And I know that trauma is hearkening back to the trauma that she encountered in crossbow hunters, longbow hunters had to think about it. So she does have a right to be angry. I don't know what Barbara Gordon is doing. I don't know if I'm still processing whether I think this is her character or not, but she seems to have trouble. Maybe it's because of brain. I don't know. Thinking through some of her actions, she immediately makes just a decision and doesn't necessarily, she thinks about the fallout in terms of like other people, but not about her own team. And I mean, I think about even when she fired Dinah, like there were reasons why she did that, but she does not verbalize why she's firing Dinah. And then it just comes off really badly. So I feel like this would be the time you had a really nice issue in 68. Everyone was coming out and somewhat supportive and (laughs) you were open. And so like, let's carry that forward. But then we take a step back with Barbara, maybe not communicating why she was doing this when she, you know, earlier. I think that this relationship is really beautiful in this arc, which we'll talk about overall. But yeah, I, I agree. Maybe this should have gotten a little more heated. But also maybe Dinah is just realizing now is not the time because there's like other stuff going down, i.e. the cult and trying to prevent worse side from happening. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and here's a question that popped into my head as you were speaking. Do you think if the roles were reversed and Dinah was like, I can rehab the Joker, Barbara, what do you think? <laughs> What would Barbara feel about that? Yo, that's uh, we'd have to hashtag cancel Dinah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. But I think of like those levels of trauma when you bring the perpetrator, you know, or you, you, you bring the perpetrator in to the team or you want to rehab, you know, the effect that might have on someone who's a victim of of some kind of abuse or trauma from them. I think, I think it's very serious. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Barbara just, I think Barbara likes to keep her cards and her plans close to her chest, you know? Yeah, and but there's maybe been, she should uh, should give her reasons a little more. I agree. Yeah, I, I think, and there's also been no apology. Oh yeah, from Savant. I don't know if that. I mean, no spoilers, but I don't know if that happens or will it happen. But I feel like before there to actually be a chance for her to move on, and I know that not everyone move on just an apology. I know I I think I don't know if this that I've talked about or not. Maybe I've just talked about it when I've gamed with Harry. But I think that's like the first step potentially um, is apologize that and then. It's kind of the other person but if he's a, he's about to be on that team and i know that he's on it in volume three that wasn't very good but i remember he was on the team uh so hopefully <laughs> there's some sort of quality mate or, or a good scene in conversation but two of them but i don't know that if the joker apologized which would be very out of here if the joker apologized to barbara gordon i don't know that'd be real hard yeah i think you'd also have to ask 
you know, you'd also have to, or you'd have to look at the Joker's capacity, I guess, for empathy, yeah. right? Savant, there's potential there. Yes. Yeah. He did want to help people eventually, but the Joker's never, at least we don't know, he's never been shown to have any potential for that. So it also I, it might be, the answer might be easier than, yeah. than we think. Uh, as a fan of anime and manga, have you read or watched Fruits Basket? Yes, I love okay. Fruits Basket. Did you watch the new, well, even if you've read it, but at the very and and so now I've like forgotten their names but the horse do you remember the horse the girl who was the horse after everything like the house well the curse is done and everyone's kind of like chatting about she basically it says like I don't know how you can like continue on as if nothing had happened like she does not forgive the head of the household because right. she was like really abused in that whole situation and so I thought that's really realistic because everyone was abused in that house by the head of the house but some of them will be able to to push forward and some of them will not be able to and I really loved that story and you know as someone who would who believed in uh, redemption and grace uh it would be lovely but like it's just going to take her a long time or not she just won't be able to and and i think that's absolutely allowable so i yeah i just feel like that could be something there you know if there if something changes it's up to dino whether or not dino decides to pursue a relationship with von a non-erotic relationship okay uh, that was heavy. Uh, any other thoughts on that? I, I do have other questions, but just to move on from that, Pithor. Uh, no. Okay. I'm good that one. Is Huntress versus Vixen a realistic matchup? And here I even say we don't even see Vixen use her totem. So with or without her totem, is that a realistic fight, do you think? Again, I don't oh, know that's, Vixen yeah. enough as okay. a character. I mean, with if she was using her totem, I think it'd be pretty easy to be like, oh, no, yeah. I would Huntress stand a chance. But maybe not. Then it's just two people with human capabilities I'm guessing so I guess it could be even I don't know what Vixen's physical skills are without or capabilities are without the totem so maybe yeah if I if I chose to edit these podcasts I would pull up like fight cards or something (laughs) to see how how they matched up yeah I don't know I guess when I think of it well again Justice League is, is where I'm getting my information but I just feel like Vixen is more powerful as a more skilled as a fighter I mean she does knock out Huntress but I just wasn't like KO I guess but I just felt like it was more evenly matched on paper than I thought that it would actually. But uh, listeners, if you are Vixen aficionado, please let me know about the matchup. And then, oh, okay, I have a comment that says, I just want to say I don't eat with that posture when I'm standing up. Let me see. I think I remember the scene. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was. I think I know exactly what you're referencing. <laughs> I'm trying to find it. Oh, yeah. It's with Dinah and the burger, right? Yeah. Is it this? Because I yes! I too was like, who stands like that while they're eating? I don't know. (laughs) And then she sits. There are more. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, is it good? It's just like her. It looks like she's breaking her back. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you were flirting with a man, but Barbara, Barbara, she cares not. For your, yeah, I don't know. Also, I mean, I'm. I would just be like eating like this. I'd be slouching. Whatever, Dinah. Ed Bennis. Okay, I think that's, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Any further thoughts or questions? What do you think about so far? What do you think about Bruce? The sort of the head guy. What do you think about him so far? I th- I would. So I don't know a lot about cults. Uh, I know that they seem to be big. Like, and by that I mean on. 
like if Netflix or something, you know, people are really interested in. I know people yeah. listen to uh, podcasts, things like that. The only cult that I am interested in watching is from Midsommar with Florence Pugh. That was very interesting for me, but I do love Florence Pugh. So I can't say, well, it's probably very similar, I guess, these these leaders. But I would say that I get the same feel that Huntress does um, and how he's interacting, which is why I'm very stunned, I guess, with the very quick shift as or switch over once we get to the second half of this arc. He seems like a loving guy. You know, he's taking these people in. But obviously, we know that there's something else going on if these kids are, are coming out and doing what they're do you get a bad read on him? No, I I feel the same way. I think I think Helena's instincts are right. Uh, yeah, and I just I think he's a very interesting character in this arc. But uh, and so it's interesting for me to sort of like track where he is each issue because I definitely have more to say about him, but not yes. right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he's fine. I feel like these two issues that we just did, it's on track for me. There's just like w- when does this break happen? Which we'll we'll see. Recriminations are a burden to the spirit. Our blame is not. St- I mean, it seems great. Clearly, people are kind of under mind control, so you do have to connect those two pieces. But uh, he seems like a loving guy. He doesn't seem like a, a ski. Mm. Yeah. Do you think at this point in the story that I mean, aside from when do you think the 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 kids are under mind control? Or do you think they really are these sort of lost, forgotten children who he's been able to take in and give them a purpose and a place of belonging? And even when it comes to the suicides. Do you think that's mind control too? Well, this could be a coloring error, but that person does not have pupil. <laughs> so that would be my only indication that there might not be. And then Vixen down there doesn't have there. I don't know. No, I mean, and that's a good point. Like Vixen definitely is being mind controlled. There's yes. definitely... You're right. There is some kind of, there's something else going on. Yeah. He, yeah. I think there are just so many different parts. So you have this guy and maybe it's Huntress not willing to see through, like there's something putting up blinder, which I'm interested with her religious relationship or her relationship with God as, as he asks. And she says, uh, well, I will get back to that, but we have Huntress and her relationship to the cult leader, which seems fine. Uh, he seems like a loving guy who cares for everyone. Vixen is clearly acting out of character. The cops are one step away from violence at all times. And then who knows about the kids? We saw that there's a schoolyard fight and they all surrounded it. So I don't know. So there are all these different pieces and she could interpret any of them in one particular way, but she decides to lump them all together and be like, well, this guy seems okay. Maybe there's some other nefarious mm-hmm. force going on at the time. I don't know where that's coming from for her, but no, it could be that he he does. I mean, just that whole scene in the in the medic station. I think it seems like he's an okay guy, and he does care for kids. Uh, so yeah. maybe it's just a coloring error with the white eyes. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's just, it's a question I had how much of this was mind control versus yeah. how much was just human psychology and what happens in cults, especially with kids, yeah. who, you know, get kind of lost in, in society. So absolutely. And I mean, yeah, these could be, you know, we, we, I don't know how often we actually talk about homeless kids. I, I think the conversation is just always bullied uh, by something else that's popping up in the media, but just like thinking about, um, 
I'm learning more about like the queer community and mm-hmm. how I, I think that's a high percentage of kids out on the street are teenagers who have no place to go because they've come out uh, either their own consent or not. And they're they're kicked out and they have nowhere to go. And so I could imagine, you know, there being a bunch of queer kids in this cult. And this guy is is showing the love of God and, and he is not, you know, judging them for that. Yeah, why not? I mean, it looked very enticing. And, and here's this father figure uh, that is loving me, whereas my own father did not. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. I know one of the things he mentions, I think, in the first issue when he's talking to Helena is that a lot of the kids have been raised by TV and computers and stuff like that. And I think that's another aspect, too, where a lot of kids who feel alienated in their own homes, that's what they turn to. Yeah. And then, you know, just like if you were physically homeless and, you know, alienated physically from your household, you could be sort of taken in by something like this but also you see that online a lot too Mm -hmm. final thing is just this as a fan the little xenomorph i was happy to see this ad (laughs) any other thoughts on seven did you did you have i can't i i thought when you were doing the summary and you finished the summary you wanted to talk about the end with barbara having the seizure or did i misinterpret your comments on Uh, that no i did say we'll talk about that i don't I guess maybe it's comics and we should just allow it. But the Barbara stuff, I really have to suspend my disbelief. <laughs> I mean, what this? do you believe that this is possible? That something could come out of the computer screen and zap Barbara? Correct. I, it's it's hard to believe now, but I feel like when we get to it or when we, you know, get further into this arc, I, I find it more believable. Okay. And I guess I see it, and this again is something I feel like I'll bring up later, but I see it more metaphorically. I see it more as a metaphor of being zapped into a screen okay. instead of like an actual physical of like something physically from the screen is coming in like physically affecting her. I see it more metaphorically. I think it has, at least for me, it has a much bigger it has a much different statement about just people who are get absorbed by tech and screens and sort of lose touch with reality and uh, I don't I don't want to get in that here because that kind of comes up later but so physically it's hard but my metaphor I see it as a metaphor or something okay. like that so this is maybe a very topical arc because of <laughs> you know kids these days and how attached to their phones they are uh I yeah I've got a lot to say to say about that when I read it I I, I felt like it could very much be taking place now oh yeah you know the whole I think there was TikTok they decided they were gonna put like a limit and you had to like log in a password or something and I think people were mm-hmm. upset about this but I thought that's lovely I would love to have this happen for me on Instagram because <laughs> I like to watch capybara reels and cat reels and things like that. Uh, but it, that's, you know. that's hard. <laughs> Who doesn't like a good capybara? <laughs> I know. But you know, when the minutes turn into hours, it's time to put that away. But that's why I, I try to keep my phone off on the weekends and like really just uh, fast from technology. Here we go. Okay, 71. Uh, this is big. Superman's in this entire issue. Okay. Birds of Prey 71 between Dark and Dawn Part 3, Insanity Defense. Early October 2004, our day. Back to the original creative team. Writer Gail Simone, Pencil Ron Adrian, Inker Rob Leia, and Colors High Five. Barbara Gordon, ugh. Barbara Gordon
Gordon wakes up in a hospital bed after remembering what it was like to be Batgirl, get shot by the Joker because we haven't forgot, but here we are, and to be loved by night. Superman plays a quick visit as he was the one to fly them to the hospital. Also, apparently Dinah has enough time to change even though Barbara was seizing. So the cult leader talks to his quote-unquote God and Huntress's death is ordered. Vixen and Huntress begin to talk, finally. Vixen has all these things are coming back to me. Vixen has bit out the communication device in Huntress's arm and asks who is sending the messages uh, to Vixen and also who is Vixen, she asks. Dinah borrows some guy's laptop and Babs is working on it in the hospital and is able to see code without the computer even being on. So she is Neo from The Matrix. Dinah is horrified and takes her out of the hospital. It's not how it works. So back in Gotham, Creode and Savant begin meeting out vigilante justice. Sounds wrong. Huntress reminds Vixen of who she really is, countermanding the cult's brainwashing. They head out the back door of the building to find themselves surrounded by cult members. Meanwhile, Dinah goes to get food, and when she returns, Babs has drawn her vision, a vision board, uh, her vision of the future, and it looks like a cyborg version of her. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we'll first start with this cover it says high hopes i also <laughs> hate this cover mostly because i don't know how that's comfortable for dinah like how is her socket or her, her shoulder not popping out of her or her arm popping out of her shoulder yeah she should be like dangling about too <laughs> yeah. so her core strength that. is that strong that she's able okay. to plank midair <laughs> don't question it so uh that's my problem with this cover. I okay. mean, that's it, though. It's all right. We that. do see all of Barbara's legs, which is we nice. We do. We do. We get all of Barbara. Yeah, we don't often get. Okay. I mean, I did think Superman was really going to play a big part in there, but he does not. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, oh my. I don't know where to begin. I guess my first note is just... Oh, the, oh, the makeup talk. Yeah, there is a lot of makeup talk in this story arc. I said there is more in this um, story than normal and the art doesn't reflect it. And I wondered if it was necessary to talk about makeup. So here uh, it's about mascara. And I'm like, well, you can't see her mascara running. So no. what's going on there? I'm surprised Dinah was able to convince Dick Grayson to leave the hospital room. I guess that was just a clever way to not have him be in the story, potentially. Maybe it would have been too hard for Barbara. She woke up and he was there. And at least the flowers were. Do you have any thoughts? I am not clear what the state of their relationship is at this point in time. So... I don't know. I don't have really any comments oh, about it. I think it's always, you know, on Facebook, it would always be it's complicated. But uh, they're, yeah, they're definitely broken. up. I mean, he married nearly, or did he? Tarantula? Oh, see, I'm not familiar with no, Nightwing really Runs. Yeah. Something, so. I can't remember. They were in, it was weird. It. I I don't recommend it. Uh, he was recently sexually assaulted, though, by Tarantula. Yes, yeah. yes, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, but then Batman scooted him out of there. I assume because of war games so yeah dick got a call and it was very exciting and left tarantula so it's complicated they're broken up and he is dealing with some uh trauma but not that is not has not been so i guess that's all i could say yeah, I don't I don't really have any thoughts. Okay. I'm not I'm not I a guess huge I would have I'm not a huge you're gonna hate me. I'm not a huge dick bath oh shipper. So my gosh. Okay. And <laughs> it's okay. If you need me to leave, I'll just get off the call. Yeah, it's time for you to it was nice to have you for this brief time. Well, uh, 
I might regret asking, but then with whom? Oh, is it Jason Bard? No. Jason Todd? No. Come on. Oh, no. <laughs> Keep going. You're also going to hate me for this because I know how oh, you do it. No. Oh, no. Oh, I was saying I was sticking with heteronormativity. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I mean, no. In that case, I like her with Ted Cord. Okay. Okay. But Dick, oh, but Babs and Dinah. Also Dinah Babs. Dinah Babs. Wow. Okay. Well, I did have I a mean, question can... later on. Now I know <laughs> where we're going with this. Well, 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 I found one. Okay. Okay, that's fine. We'll we'll get back into it. I personally would have liked it to have been in the um, hospital room. I that would have been lovely. My super heart loved it, but he wasn't. But at least he had flowers, so that was that was, was nice. And he didn't leave a playing card on her leg like uh, yeah. Batman did. Oh God, yeah, this <laughs> <laughs> awful. I I am like you and don't know too much about Vixen, but I didn't know that she was a daughter of a reverend. So it's interesting that we do have Huntress with her Catholic background and then. And uh, Vixen has religion in her background. So I feel like we're getting somewhere, but the story doesn't go where I would like it to go. Where are Huntress and Vixen during this particular conversation that they have? It looks like an apartment. I didn't know why it wouldn't have happened in the actual test area. I I think I find just weird details and ask questions about it. So please forgive me, but... No, I that's a that's a good question. I don't think I I was I paid attention to the location at all, probably because there was no nothing like discernible about it, you know. Yeah. Well, at one point it's a kitchen because she gets a a knife because she's oh, about yeah. to do like some cuckoo. Uh, but I just wonder, are there housing complexes on the site and she gets her own suite uh, being in the upper echelon? I'm not sure. Savant and Creote are on adventures and it does seem like a dark buddy cop comedy waiting to happen. I mean, they're joking around and at well. Yes, they are. <laughs> as much as Savant and, and Creote can uh, joke, I'm trying to see. He says funny. straight. I mean, I... Wasn't one of the stipulations that Barbara gave Savant and Creo was like no serious injuries, but it kind of looks like there's some serious injuries this time. Yeah. Though I never know what that means in superhero comics. What counts as a serious injury? <laughs> Anything you can walk away from, I guess, is minor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even bones protruding. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when I read Griot, uh, I feel like he has no affect. So you can't really tell when he's joking or not. And maybe he doesn't even know uh, why he's joking. But Savant says exactly why are we here again? And Or even, I guess, at the beginning, he says, I must say, our opponent's habitat seems less than refined. <laughs> exactly why are we here again? And then Kriot says, you are here because Oracle implied that you are incapable of satisfying the mission objective. I am here because you were. And then I guess Savant says, you're implying that she played me. I believe she is your blind spot. Mr. Tristan. I guess these men are not yet in a romantic relationship. They're friends right now. Yeah, I don't think so. But I know there are those like subtle hints because in her Gail Simone's second run, right? They that becomes more clear, more explicit. But there are like these little subtle hints. Like, doesn't Creo say Simone says something like, "I'm here because you know Oracle is giving me," or Creo I think tells Savant like, "You're here because Oracle is giving you a second chance, and I'm here because of you," or something like that. So there are these little hints, but I don't think it's ever explicitly. Pointed okay. out until Gail Simone's second run. Gotcha. And my final, I guess, detail question is should Donna have left Babs in the hospital? Instead of taking her home? Correct. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I thought of it one way or another. 
in retrospect, maybe she should have, but I don't know if it would have mattered because Barbara was looking at a blank computer screen and like having these visions and she was drawing on paper. It might not have mattered one way or the other where she was. was. Yeah. I guess I just wonder, I guess she just checked herself out. Just seems nuts as someone who had worked in a hospital. Crazy. Okay, so we're still with the, I guess we'll say the good cult leader. I mean, he's he's praying and he also looks like he has nightmares of the kids that killed themselves. So like he has a lot of remorse and even, you know, he tries not to, you know, I beg of thee, not the children, do not make me send them to this task. Uh, and then ends up saying, you know, your will be done, which I mean, there's a broader mess for about being re- religion, being perverted for uh, various purposes, but it's still, I don't know. It's maybe, I guess it's the next issue that just a complete character change. So I'm still okay with by okay. I mean, I, feel like he is represented well in being this kindly leader and yes he is doing bad things but he's not relishing in doing them so it's like okay you know stepping stepping closer maybe towards what we imagine but it seems like we take a hard left turn soon yeah and i think it's in this issue he's you can kind of see he's talking there's someone else pulling the strings we don't know yet and you can tell he's very conflicted and yeah this is his intentions seem good you know his actions are misguided or not great okay and then if you came home and your friend had made a vision wall with this image would you be concerned be very concerned okay at first at first i'd be like wow you've been hiding out on me you're an amazing artist but then i might just be a little concerned yeah. Yeah. And now to answer your previous question, of course, we have all the kids and they have some solid weapons at the very end. So something's going on. So, yeah, they, it looks like there is some mind control yeah. happening for yeah. sure. Yeah. Any other thoughts? No. Okay. Issue 72. Okay. Between Dark and Dawn, part four, Material Girl, as sung by Madonna. Late October 2004 is the cover date. Writer Gail Simone, penciler Ron Adrian, and Inca Rob Lea, colorist Hi-Fi. A scarily omniscient Barbara Gordon sends Black Canary to save another suicidal teenager, and Donna flashes to the last time this happened, was fake and led to Vaughn. Bab stands up from her wheelchair. <gasps> She's healed. And she confronts Brainiac. That's right. Brainiac puts on the guise of Joker and gaslights Barbara, attempting to get her to shoot herself or beg to be shot. Canary saves a kid named Lewis, dressed as Speedy from jumping off a roof to his death. They've been told that the kids that is, they have been told that superheroes are angels and when they are martyred, they sit at the right hand of God. Thus the reason they have been killing themselves. Brainiac, using Oracle's voice print, tells Black Canary there are three more kids in her area that she has to save. Which I was confused because I thought, oh, this is clearly a lie but actually there were kids so we can come back to that he then transforms into nightwing and continues the gaslighting and i think nightwing has the mullet at this point in time but i have fresh my memory back in oregon vixen and hunters face off against several cult members once they have gotten through those members they search for the leader in hope of severing his connection to the, to the cult in a church that is a veritable shrine to superheroes they find him backed up by the all the metahumans that were connected to the machine in one of the buildings in the compound hunter shoots him with her crossbow and 
I thought she killed him, especially given Mari's reaction. He explains he has given orders to the members to kill themselves. Back at the clock tower, Brainiac explains that he met the leader in the realm between brain and machine. But he, meaning the cult leader, is inadequate to his need. Babs, however, is adequate and is reborn as Oracle and will soon be mother to Brainiac. Okay. Here we have the cover. It says, Vixen's on the prowl and Oracle's possess. How often do you do yoga in, in that sort of pose right there? Is that what she's doing? Yeah. I don't know. I, that's the closest I yeah. could say. I mean, at least with the, this is probably my, the bar's low, sure. but for this arc, this is my most favorite cover okay. because at least it feels, and maybe I'm biased because this is, this is actually a, um, Who's the cover artist again? It says Greg Land. Oh, yeah. you do? And I love Greg Land. Land covers. I love okay. Greg Land covers. And I also think it just, it's not, uh, it actually represents what's happening. And it, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's overly objectifying in women. I mean, yeah, Vixen, okay, a little bit. But it's not the same way as like Huntress being bent over backwards on something. And I'm also not having weird, weird, like with the last cover, you know, weird feelings about how is Dinah's arm not like popping out of her shoulder socket yes. right now. So I, so I like this. I like this cover. Okay. I will say I also think that it's probably the best. I'm kind of scared by the next one. It's staring up at me. Now I learned from Shagalicious that Greg Land uses real life people as his yeah. models. Do you have any idea who this might be? I don't no. know. So it's not that sort of question. I have no idea. I just, yeah, I know his, his covers always stand out to me because he likes, he likes, yeah, using like models and stuff, like yeah. models and magazines and stuff, but I have no idea who that would be or what. That's an interesting pose. That's one like I wouldn't necessarily look at and be like, oh yeah, that I could see him lifting that from some kind of magazine or something. I think his, a lot of his other covers for birds of prey it's it's easier to make that connection yeah and this well you know now that you're here um (laughs) (laughs) it's it's only connected to that part i forgot after i had or i just neglected to ask when i was editing that issue uh that episode of shag i wanted to ask whether he thought that was plagiarism or not do you feel Mm -hmm. like there's any because it's using is it modeling is he modeling too heavily if he's drawing from actual covers and things like that Do, do you think that's a form of I think it's paying homage okay. I don't think I would say it's plagiarism I think it's paying homage honestly but that might you might have to investigate Greg Land's intent uh, yeah. <laughs> really get at that question unfortunately for the world we're at an eerie time with plagiarism because of that little robot thing chat BT. Oh, no. so yeah. and I think an AI in Snapchat now that also because I like overhear the kids when I'm subbing they're like put in this essay topic and see. No. is that so anyway just be aware. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If it's not your work, then it's plagiarism. (laughs) I don't remember where this is, but there's a quote that says, we're lubed on this end. And I wondered, (laughs) is that an actual turn of phrase? Because if it is... I've never heard it before. So please I feel like it's, oh yeah, we're lubed on this end, Montress. Yeah. I'm afraid you're on your own. I've never heard that before. And I don't even know like what that'd be in reference to as far <laughs> as, yeah. you know, sometimes we use phrases 
or we use certain things colloquially or and I, I don't know, lubed on what end. I'm not sure. That'll be an interesting question to ask uh to ask Gail Simone. Yeah. <laughs> or I thought you were gonna say Chat GPT. Chat oh, GPT, no. what does no, no, no. we're lubed on I don't wanna know what Chat GPT <laughs> is to say about anything. Uh, yes, we're lubed on this. Listen. My mind goes to a dirty place and I'm just like trying to connect how that would work. I, I don't know. I just well, don't know how that would work. Like I can't connect the two anyway. So we'll yeah, just move it on. doesn't work. Yes, it could get. Yes. Okay. Uh, another good quote. Nobody should have to live by what Batman thinks of them. Huntress. Yeah, well, she would know. She would know. She would yes. Know. Yes. I did like that. Quote. And good for her. Yes, for sure. So Barbara does walk with an asterisk, we'll say, because we find out where that is. And it's interesting because, well, when I was reading this, I actually thought that she was walking. And I thought, oh my gosh, the seeds were sowed for what we encountered with Gail Simone way back here in 2004. Um, But we find this is all actually going on in her head space. So not exactly. But I do know... Oh, is it the cure that her foot wiggles? Is it that one? I don't think that's this one. Oh, okay. If it is, then I did not, then I missed an issue or something. There's definitely no foot or toe wiggling in this arc, but I wondered if it was in Birds of Prey or some, or that the wig happens. It is in Birds of Prey. Okay, okay, okay. So we'll, we'll, I guess I'll come back to that there. Do you think it's clear enough that this is happening in her head or is it a bit ambiguous? And if it is ambiguous, are you okay with the entity that she's walking i'm not sure where it's walking it so when i read it i didn't necessarily think she was in her head mm-hmm, mm-hmm. though i guess maybe that can speak to the ambiguity mm-hmm. i thought she was in like cyberspace oh and that's why she could walk though it works with being in her head too it's yeah. a weird uh, i think the ambiguity ambiguity actually you know it works in that way because you she's not in a physical space correct which is i think what matters yes yeah i initially thought oh my gosh she's actually walking and then all of the, this transformation that's happening this is actually happening to her yeah. and i was really having to suspend my disbelief because i thought how is this happening physically on her body but yes, so headers, the cyberspace, that's very interesting. Now, I, I'm using a lot of the matrix as a model for this and wondering, um, and that's kind of how I can break through and make sense of this from happening. But like I said, I've had to suspend my disbelief maybe a lot for this particular issue. I guess that makes sense since she was able to look at a screen. So she's probably right now looking at her one. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. The physical, what's happening yeah. physically to her is maybe she's just zoned out from a screen. It's just zeros and ones. Or... Wow. Now, do you think that Bar- Barbara Gordon's got a pretty powerful security network uh, installed? It's not just McAfee. It's more. It's Macabarbara. Would you say that it makes sense that Brainiac is able to break through? Yeah, I believe it. Okay. Brainiac is, I don't know tons about Superman and Brainiac and stuff, but as far as I know, Brainiac's pretty powerful and he can do that. If there's anyone who could do that, it'd be Brainiac. I think that's, I mean, I have some overall questions with, I guess, his motives, but we can save that for the the end. I know his motives now, but I wondered what the motives were with the uh, the kids and the cult. Does he get power from them dying? You know, I guess I, yeah. I'm trying to connect all of that from, from what we, but we can go back to that. Any other thoughts on that? I'd have lots of, I think it's all, it's like building and building. Yeah. So you had mentioned, cause I was trying to figure this out when Dinah goes to save the first kid. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I wasn't sure, but you said, but I was wondering if it was the case. So that kid's dressed as speedy, huh? Yes. 
Because it looks, it kind of looks like Speedy, but I can't confirm it for myself. I believe that it is. And Speedy, because Speedy is Roy Harper, right? Or was Roy Harper? Correct. Because I just think that's a really interesting layer, if that's true for Dinah. Oh, because of her relationship with Roy. Yeah, and I think I think even and again, it's hard for me to pinpoint what's what was going on with the Arrow family at this point in time. But in the first, is it the first issue when she goes and she talks to the to the to the father of one of the kids who killed herself, and he mentions something about how hard it is to lose a child and hoping she never has to go through that. And I was just, I don't know if you knew anything about about her history with Roy at this point. But that's something that stuck out to me. Yeah. That was like kind of a cool layer if it worked, because yeah. I know Roy was like this like son, younger brother to her in certain parts in certain times. I well and I also didn't know he was dead at this point in time Roy's, either. Yes. Well who wasn't it Roy that Huntress in sixty eight Oh, yeah, that's right. She And so and then, yeah, Dinah was upset at that. So I feel like there is a relationship there and it's pretty strong. And isn't that little girl whose name I've forgotten? Isn't that Roy's daughter that Dinah will soon take care of? I think she was and... Shag doesn't like to talk about it. Cheshire and Roy. Oh, Leanne. Yeah. yeah. When does she end up taking care of? I Leanne? thought that she helped. Maybe not. She, no, she might have. I'm not. I was just curious if you it hasn't happened yet. In okay. Where we're. where we are. Uh, but I think, I feel like there have been conversations about how close she is with Roy in this actual book. Yeah. Especially so. in 68. But you're right. I didn't even make that connection. And maybe the reason why, because I don't think Gail really necessarily honed in on it because maybe there should have been more of a reaction from Dinah. Yeah, I think I think she, I think if Gail had, yeah, Gail could have honed in more on it yeah. if she was aware of it. But I, regardless, I thought it was a nice little, a nice little layer Absolutely. if you were aware of that history between the two of them yeah. and you get a butt shot right there oh, well is that the first but is that the only butt it shot wasn't no i was just on the page and i thought oh wow that's pretty good no it it's not but we can yeah uh any other thoughts on this i do not think so so listeners if you know what it means to be lubed on this end please let us know Okay, so our final one, kind of a scary cover. And I have to say, each time I flip these over, this is what I'm seeing. Uh, for three issues in a row. <laughs> that is, been. that really brings me back. The female <laughs> gaze. I know, the BMX. I didn't know he had a scar right down there. Um, so, Helena, take lessons. This is how it should be. Okay, Birds of Prey, 73. Between Dark and Dawn, part five, Blood and Circuits, early November 2004. Okay, this is a bit more complex. So, writer Gail Simone, penciler for pages one through six, 11 through 14, 17, 20, and 21, Ron Adrian, and Eric Battle is the rest. Inker on pages one through six, 11 through 14, 17, 20, and 21, Rob Leia, and Inker for pages Seven through 10, 15 through 16, 18 through 19, and 22, Rodney Ramo, and Colors High Five. In Oregon, Vixen and Huntress fight a pack of metahumans led by Geoforce, and the leader is actually not dead, so Huntress didn't kill him. She threatens to kill him, of course, and even if he doesn't believe she has it in her, uh, we know that she does. Vixen forbids it. 
But, well, you know, Huntress doesn't care. So in Gotham, Black Canary reminds Gordon of who she is. In Gotham, Black Canary returns from saving the kids and gets hit by a super strong Babs. Black Canary reminds Babs of who she is by bringing in a bunch of stuff, like a picture of her dear old dad, her picture with Nightwing, a Batman doll, which, you know, you'd think that would not be the best to bring in, but she does. And Babs fights back against Brainiac control over her. In Oregon, Huntress takes hold of the cult leader and convinces him to order the metahumans to stand down and save the children so he can be the first cult leader not to require death. And he does so. Back in Gotham, Bab defeats Brainiac, basically. Okay. Okay. Yes. I know we're in a comic, as I say in my notes, but is all the Brainiac bad stuff realistic? Especially what is happening on the inside, turning into a physical manifestation on the outside. And I think my sticking point, which I even wrote myself, is that she's not actually connected to the computer with her brain. Like if she were plugged up Matrix style, I'd be like, absolutely, this makes sense. But it all comes from the zapping from the computer. So are you just able to suspend and go through? Yeah, I okay. don't. It doesn't bother me the way okay. it was you. So I can suspend my disbelief for that. Okay. Well. You want to talk about the cover? Oh, thank you. Yes. Oh, the cover. yes, thank you. So you like this because you reminded me. I like it better than the first three. Okay. I, again, I, I think it's I think it's nice just because I don't feel like there's like any crazy objectification going on with Vixen and Huntress. Kind of, It's kind of creepy and cool with the eyes. Yeah, I like it. It is pretty crazy. I guess that could be, I guess it's the cult looking at that. I guess. I don't know. Now, does Vixen have a camel toe? I do not see a camel toe. <laughs> <laughs> that hard. No, my male audience won't understand what that means. So I'm okay asking it. Okay. No, it's pretty good. I'm, now you get an idea of what her actual costume is. Yeah. I don't see her totem on her, however. No, I don't. It I looks don't like that was an error. Yeah. Okay. And for once, yeah, they're not fighting. Okay. Yes. So realism, I am not buying it as much. Okay. Oh, yes. Inconsistency. Hunters can name check Flamebird at the beginning of the issue, but then she suddenly forgets. Did you notice this? I, I have to find did it. not notice it. So at the beginning in her narration, I believe he says, Bumblebee and Flamebird, couple of Eck Heighton. And then, oh, okay. I'll say this for what's her name. I think she might be called Flamebird. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't notice that. So that that was the disrespect. I was actually shocked to see Flamebird there. Shocked, but uh, I liked it. Yeah, but I guess not getting not getting a lot of respect. Okay, so the, I call it a personality switch. I don't know if you will in the leader. Now we can, I think, talk about his like greater personality uh, because he does seem like pretty rabid and evil now. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it was just like this arc that we were seeing him on and this is who he truly is? It's on snap or is it an inconsistent? Well, I think as you know, as the issues have gone on, we've seen him interact more, you know, and get guidance from who we now know as Brainiac. So I want, so at this point, I just thought, you know, Bruce is just himself, who he is, his intentions, they've kind of eroded away and Brainiac's just possessed him or kind, okay. of, kind of replaced him. And that's how I, I view this. So you think that Brainiac has done what he did, does to, is doing to Babs to, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That I think makes sense. Do you believe that Huntress's crossbow jammed at the very end? Oh. She said, uh, I didn't kill. Let's see. I mean, that was a good one. Was it at the end? Yeah. 
Yeah, because right, Vixen, Vixen yeah. asks her, yes, or tries to stop her, tells her yeah. not to kill her, something like that, and then Huntress yeah. is like, "Well, my my crossbow jam." Yeah, thank you, Huntress, for not not giving in. Don't thank me, Mari. The truth is, my crossbow jam. <laughs> uh, I think it jammed. Okay. Yeah, I I. And I can only say I think it jammed because from my perspective, that just makes Huntress a more interesting character at this point. So yeah, I like thinking of it like that. Though it is also inter- on the flip side, it's interesting if she's lying because that is like a character that's her making some strides. Yeah, but why would she be lying to? But in that case, she'd just be like lying to herself, right? Because who is she talking to when she's, isn't it like in one of those thought boxes when and she's like, don't thank me with a crossbow jam. It's in a thought box, uh, but unlike the back rolls thought boxes, it has quotation. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think she's responding to Mari. I see. Yeah. yeah. And you're right. It, it it could be interesting to see that think, growth yeah. in her for yeah. sure. I mean, she shot him once. She was about to do it. I, I don't think <laughs> you should ever like forbid Huntress to do anything. Number one, she's going to do the opposite. Number two, like she'll absolutely kill somebody. Yeah. So, yeah. I already asked about that nicer older guy. We don't get to see him at the end. Okay, so big question. Do you have any detailed questions before I start my big question about the whole arc? No. Okay. What do we learn about the main three characters in this arc? Say? So would you like to start with Helena? Good question. Good question. Because I always like to step back now and say, well, what, how, how, how has this progressed our character? Yeah. Well, I think... What we've learned about Helena is that she's still very conflicted about her role, I think, on this team, but also just as as a vigilante in general. And I think, I wish I knew more about Helena's background with her Catholicism, because I feel like that was something that was teased out in this and sort of juxtapositioning it with the cult mindset. And I don't, I wish I had more to say on that too, because that also seems to be a point of like contention for her. And so I think that's kind of where we're left with Helena is that she's still doesn't seem that she is fully committed to playing by these rules that that Barbara has set up, which frankly are quite, you know, or that Vixen voices like not to kill the guy. Yeah. And then Barbara kind of follows the same idea of no killing. And I just think we're seeing Helena's like real thoughts and, and challenges she's having. So that that's kind of where I think we are left with Helena at the end of this arc. Yeah, I trying to find because there is an interesting that she has no more faith i can't remember where this was exactly like the reason why based oh here it is with vixen in a car and she uh says why didn't i fall under broussard's control like the rest of you mm-hmm. and vixen says you really don't know broussard's my control preyed on our faith hundreds you didn't fall because you no longer believe she says huh and to think of all that time i spent at mass as, as a kid i it seemed to be a pretty big part of her character like in the past her history having that Catholicism. yes she's a bit brutal uh for what she does i kind of always you know compared her a bit to to daredevil who isn't also, you know, the the gentlest of of heroes. So to have that, I don't know where, this is very surprising for me. I feel like this was an interesting arc because we are dealing pretty heavily with religion and maybe how these characters, what their relationship is with it, how they're dealing with it, that it can be perverted and like how to deal with that sort of thing. So like the negative and positive aspects of it. Mari clearly has a really positive relationship with it, whether that's through her father or um, her own upbringing. 
And it seems like Huntress is less about, you know, having faith in who people are or I don't know, maybe who God is and more in like people prove themselves by their actions. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, this guy, Broussard, was uh, a great guy. So she's going off of that. And then as he turned into this murderous guy, she's like, well, that's who you actually are. So I'm going to punish for it. Yeah, I don't it's I'm very interested to see. I don't know if we're going to get back to this, but it just seems very sudden for me uh, that she is now like she doesn't have. And did she not realize it? the fact that Vixen knows that she doesn't have faith and Huntress doesn't know herself is really interesting. Earlier, Vixen says, like, if you don't have faith, have faith in me. So that's, that's, yeah, I don't know. It's that I think this is very complicated. Helena's arc and what we learned about her, I think the most complicated of the yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's I a know. lot to yeah. parse out. Yeah, I don't know that I can vocalize or verbalize, <laughs> yeah, what's going on here. But, you know, to a certain extent, I, I do believe that it's true. People prove, I think, who they are through their acts. So I can uh, kind of see where, where Barbara is. And we can have as much faith in, like, you know, hopefully they'll do the right thing. But when it comes down to it, it's like, well, you didn't do the right thing there, sir. So... Yeah, I wonder with Helena too, and this is me inferring a lot because I don't know how much her relationship with God and religion has been explored in other comics necessarily, but I think there could also be a sort of loss in faith in sort of these big powerful like like I think of Batman right and he's you know this big powerful hero, this god almost, but then you know, he treats Helena so poorly, we see, and kind of casts her out. And I wonder if you can just defer some kind of allusion to like being cast out of, you know, God's flock and having to really take people as see even heroes and people with lots of power as human, not as these all mighty beings. So yeah, that's another thought I had. So idol worship is what you're getting at. Well, I mean, well, I'm just saying, like, when you put people up on a pedestal, inevitably they're going to point you. Yeah, because they're human. Yeah. 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 And maybe Helena's kind of lost that faith through just having those relationships with with people who just disappoint her. Yeah. So, yeah, I can get. Uh, What about Dinah? What do we learn from Dinah? How did Dinah develop the arc? Yeah, Dinah's interesting in this because I think I think Gail does a really good job giving really uh letting each of each of our three leading women really uh unique roles like unique to them so i think the great thing about dinah is like we we did get to see her sort of play that support for for barbara right you know barbara towards the end obviously she kind of wants she wants to go in and help helena barbara's like no and then we also barbara gives her the job of going and talking to the families of the of the kids who've died by suicide and i think if anything this arc just reaffirms that that is one of dinah's strengths yes we know she can going she can she can beat anyone up she's 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 strong we know that she's talented we know that she's capable but when you know you need to when you have a situation where you're talking to the families of victims or you know someone's in the hospital she she's the one you're gonna go to she's the she's she's support she's got that supportive quality to her that big sister mother quality to her yeah and we also see what she does when barbara's at a commission 
You know, like if, if Barbara's not there, she is not, she does not have all of her faculties. How, how would Dinah react? And like, and so Dinah, we, we can see that, oh, well, Dinah will do just fine. And she can bring Barbara back in that. Right. And she reminds Barbara of who she is. And it's not a, it's not an action scene. She's not like kicking Brainiac to the curb. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I was uh, surprised that she, that Barbara has a Batman doll. I think it should have been the Batgirl doll that she usually has, (laughs) but, uh, but there we, we have it. Uh, Barbara, what do we learn (laughs) about her? We're not done with her and whatever's going on. (laughs) No, certainly aren't. Got a tattoo. I'm just kidding. Her skin. A little souvenir. Yeah. (sighs) What do we learn about Barbara? That's a good question. I'm not sure what I take away with this from Barbara, except that, oh, now I know, because I, I was kind of hinting at this earlier with this whole whole idea of Barbara kind of being zapped into cyberspace or being absorbed by something like cyberspace. Because I think, so yes, I think the same thing happens with Bruce, uh, you know, Brainiac, he, he finds, you know, he found... Fa- it's not explicitly stated that he got to Brusa in a similar way that he got to Barbara by like doing it, doing something on a computer screen. But it's kind of how I interpret it that something very similar must have happened. And I think there's a great juxtaposition between the two, between Brusa and Barbara. And you see that Brusa doesn't really have anything to ground him to reality and like back to like meat space, which I think even Brainiac uses that term of like piles of meat and stuff like that in terms of humans. But, but Barbara does and Barbara needs people to ground her back in reality because she can get, she can get lost in her head, lost in her rationality and all her plans. She can get lost with the tech. Like we've seen this before. Barbara, you know, is pretty isolated. Until she brings Dinah in, you know, going all the way back to like Chuck Dixon's Birds of Prey. And so I think if anything you learn from Barbara is that at least she's got these these people and things that ground her. And Dinah reminds her of all those things. You know, Dinah is the one who, yeah, reminds her of her father, her relationship with Nightwing, Batman, you know. Yeah. And I think that's as yeah. controversial as that one might be. Maybe yeah. it should have been the Batgirl doll. Yeah. But I think what I felt I took from Barbara with this by the end of it was, you know, isolation is a dangerous thing, can be a dangerous thing for her, but she's not alone. So she doesn't have to worry about that. She's got her team and she's got other people for her. So well, good thing Karen wasn't here because it would have turned out very different. Who was Power Girl? Power Girl. Because those two are on the outs. Could you imagine Power Power Girl? As soon as Baz was seizing on the ground, be like, "I'm out. It's too much." Good riddance. (laughs) Bye. Do you think Barbara could fat do a technology fast? Do you think she could unplug for like a day? Maybe such a good question. I don't know if she could. I I I don't know. Like I don't have. And by that, I just mean I don't have an answer on it. I never really thought of that before. I would hope. I would hope so too for her own health. I would hope so. Yeah. Well, this finally, this image must make you happy. As for me, I was having flashbacks to, you know, hunt for a while there. Uh, But yeah, the final one is just, you know, their, their relationship, I think was for me, the most beautiful.
beautiful part of, of this and that Dinah never left her side and, and was the person to snap her back. So I think Helena is very much the odd man out. I don't know if she's ever going to kind of get in there. It's like it's like polyamory because Babs and Dinah it are like the primary and then you have Helena and Helena just can't get into that primary situation. That's that's the metaphor I'll use. But I mean, does Helena, I mean, you can spoil me. Does Helena get as close to these two as these two are currently? I think the relationship Helena forms with each Barbara and Dinah separately, it, it's very unique and it's different and it does have a close quality, but it's not like, but I wouldn't necessarily say, and I don't know if this is what you were getting at with your metaphor and everything. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't really feel like Helena comes, comes in and they're like this cohesive team and everyone's super close. It just seems to me like Helena does end up developing a specific relationship to Barbara and she ends up developing a specific relationship to Dinah and it's close in some ways. It's not another, it's complicated. It's not, it's definitely not like Babs and Dinah, which we've had this, we've had this relationship being built, you know, since Chuck Dixon and it's very like close and it's different. That's about all I can say about it. I guess That's fine. I don't need too many. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil details because I do want you to experience it yourself. I appreciate that. Yes. I think just the, the relationship between bad Dinah was spot on so good on you Gil. uh any other thoughts on this arc uh yeah i guess i just i really liked it we touched about this a bit on the beginning like i think it's it still feels very relevant because i think it taps on some very like universal human experiences of you know belonging and feeling like you're loved and you're supported and you know cults prey on that prey on vulnerable people who don't have that and 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 there is that reference in the beginning like oh these are kids who were raised on television and video games and yeah it's a very lonely life and you can see how a cult could be very seductive Mm -hmm. for that and i think it happens a lot and i i think especially now it happens a lot on the internet you know these poor you know poor kids you know they're lonely. They don't have anything else or anyone else. They go online, they get, they fall down a weird, dark rabbit hole. And, you know, it's, it, it's hard not to have empathy because, you know, as people, we're all after the same thing. We just want, we just want to belong. We want a tribe. Yeah. It's just human nature. And so I felt it was, I liked the topic a lot. And, and I thought it was, it was again, just really great Gail Simone storytelling. You have all these layers of moving parts and felt the characters are spot on. So. I, I enjoy this arc a lot, despite the covers. Despite the covers, yes. <laughs> and I'm interested in kind of the religious aspect uh, and how it ties to Vixen and Huntress and see if that has any ramifications in the future for Huntress, whether that's teased out at all. But I, I certainly second, second old thing say, as someone who is, you know, in school and watching these kids, yeah. and even though there's a no technology, uh, no cell phones during active teen time, they're, they're out all, I mean, I go to the bathroom and there's like, someone in the stall clearly not going to the bathroom like doing a tiktok or something right you can't even for a little bit be off uh, it's a lot it is a lot out of 10 brainiac tattoos whole okay. art between dark and dawn what would you give this story i'd give it a solid eight a solid eight yeah. interesting okay i like i said really had just <laughs> <laughs> disbelief i'll give it a seven and a half brainiac yeah. tattoos i think Okay, now on to listener emails. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. Come on. Oh, 
Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Donovan, on part one of the video, says that Steph was in the clock tower with Babs and Castorine last laugh. I didn't forget about that. When they fought Shadow Thief, so she would have known of Oracle's uh, ID and vice versa then. So very true. And then he also said, quote, I feel like he, and in parentheses, Batman is a hypocrite, end quote, uh, take a shot, I guess, every time I say that, which that's like alcohol poisoning waiting to happen if you would do that. And nothing on part two. So I do have several emails because a lot was going on in the previous episode. Two of them are, in fact, from my former sometimes beloved Donovan Morgan Grant. So the first one, he calls me out uh, and the subject line is dissenting opinion alert. Backroll 54. Hey, Stella, all in cap. Wanted to write in my thoughts about your coverage of Backroll 2000, issue number 54. It's funny. I remember reading this issue with you well over 10 years ago, back when you read this series the first time. Do you remember that? I do remember that, Donovan. Rereading the story was a fast read for me in that the main purpose of the story was to not only create a wedge between bad tasks, but also continue thickening Cassandra's fear that she's fundamentally different from everyone else. Her learning disability and illiteracy were used in a major way in endangering the lives of innocence when she needs to read the most. But I don't agree with framing this as a flaw in Cassandra's character, that she didn't just quote-unquote work on it and get better at the ABCs. It's a learning disability. This gets specified more in later issues, but it's important to note that for the sake of this review, that Cass's failure to improve her literacy shouldn't be perceived as a lack of discipline. When it comes to crime fighting, she wants to improve on whatever will make her a better hero. Recall back in the Kelly Puckett, Damian Scott days when she tried to improve her detective skills. In this issue, she buries her face in her hands as as though she's crying, telling Oracle that she's tried hard but can't make it happen. And where was Barbara during all of this? I've got to call out my girl. Batman gave Cass her own Batcave, but Babs always knew where to find her. They still work together all the time. I think Barbara, who has always thrown herself into the mother role in Cass' development, must have been caught up with Birds of Prey duties and her other appearances in the Bat book to keep up with Cassandra's education because it's really ridiculous for her to yell, why don't you know this yet? She knows Cass's history. She knows that she spent her entire life going without reading writing or speaking. She knows that Cassandra was abused and she's even questioned if she and Batman are adding to her abuse by having her be Batgirl. So where does the condemnation come from exactly? Nobody likes their favorite characters acting badly, but there's no getting around the repugnant behavior Babs displays in this issue towards someone who can't learn the ABCs as well as she can pick up stick fighting. And Barbara's smart enough to know that, so I have to believe she's purely been distracted and not just acting like an a-hole because... Being upset that a library is burning, frankly, doesn't excuse how she spoke to Cass. Maybe the thing with the birds is still in her brain. Maybe she's still feeling a type of way about breaking up with Nightwing. There's a number of reasons. But to my mind, it is entirely her fault that Cassandra's literacy hasn't progressed (gasps) and not Cass's. To find ways that both characters share the blame in my mind is there's no word for it that comes up other than gross. But the issue isn't intending to purely castigate Barbara. Cass has been in her fifis about relating to Batman. I don't know what that phrase means relating to the other members of the Bat family and her own self-worth. Remember when she got hooked on the soul drug and was bombarded by floating images of her friends and family all arguing about what's good for her? This issue just continues that track to challenge the character into being defined aside from the other older Bat people. 
I like this issue because as painful as it can be to see characters you love having a falling out, we don't often see moments like these when it's born from something behavioral. It's usually an event or action like Batman telling Spoiler his secret identity without his knowledge or consent. At the end of this, Babs apologizes, but the damage is done. No one, see, she doesn't give, there's that whole, no one shut each other out of a door or took away a costume. And the question for the readers going forward is how can these who repair their relationship when one has seen the other at their at her worst? Those are my thoughts. I can hear voice reading this out already as I type it, but I'm looking forward to your thoughts as always. And he gave me five peaches because that's often what I see on his spicy Instagram. Do you have any thoughts or comments on that issue or what Donovan has called me tack on? I do not. It's okay. been so long since I've read those. So you I don't, don't really get in between us, do you? I don't know what to say, Donovan. I don't know what to say. I still think if she were as dedicated to fighting as she were to reading, it wouldn't be a problem. But I guess he doesn't like that popular answer. I I agree with you that I think Barbara holds the majority of the blame for this. But I do still think that Hass could have done a little bit more. And I guess, I guess that's all I say. I will say that Donovan and I got into a bit of a tiff, an argument over me making these back rolls out to be like real life humans, because I think I was complaining about Barbara leaving them. And they're, you know, they're young adults. They should be with some sort of guy. And she's like, they're coming. But now he's doing the opposite. I feel because I feel like he's very much assigning this as like a real human being versus a comic book character. So like for Cass, for me as a comic book character, I'm like, she, she should have, you you know, put in some time, a couple minutes or hours a day. But as a human being, absolutely, it's the teacher's responsibility to try to help with illiteracy. Next. Oh, yeah, it's Donovan again. He says, oh, no, not me again. That was a subject line. This is luckily not from addressed to me. He says, hey, oh, Kermit the Frog here once again. This time I'm responding to guest Ian Prime's thoughts regarding superheroes and politics and the utility of protest. I appreciated his perspective insofar as they represented, they presented a different viewpoint of mine. However, his views don't seem to be well thought out, in my opinion. So I want to at least throw up some counterpoints for the sake of consideration. Number one, I agree with him that superheroes are creations representing franchises meant to appeal to as far a demographic reach as possible. However, it's completely erroneous to suggest that they don't sufficiently engage in politics because of that fact. Superman was created in 1938 as an explicit socialist hero, fighting for equality on very unfair terms and even combating the Axis forces and Hitler before America entered World War II. In the 50s and 60s, while the books were always rather limp on racial diversity, DC Comics would make ads featuring Superman and Batman talking to kids about the evils of racial prejudice. Over in Marvel Comics, Stan Lee was even less interested in being apolitical about some things he truly cared about. Peter Parker thinks to himself upon hearing that Flash Thompson got drafted to fight in Vietnam that Americans are, quote, fighting a war that nobody wants with an enemy they don't even hate, end quote, or words to that effect. He was also extremely effusive in incorporating black characters into the comics and showing them to be intelligent, cool, admirable characters, every bit as awesome as a hero. By the end of the 1960s, nearly every Marvel book featured a main black supporting character, something DC comic couldn't match. Number two, this brings me to the DC heroes in the 1970s. Ian claims that all of Queen, the Green Arrow, often is a political hypocrite. <gasps> While Ollie's definitely a chauvinistic loudmouth, he very ex- he's very explicitly intentional with his politics. Near the end of the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams run, Green Arrow finds himself ambushed in an alley and is forced to defend himself while injured. His bad aim results in him accidentally killing his attacker, and as a result, Oliver destroys all of his Green Arrow weaponry, tech, and paraphernalia and leaves town to join a monastery. He only returns to the fold when Green Lantern and 
forms in that Black Canary's life is in peace. Throughout the 1970s, Denny O'Neill's influence would have an effect over DC Comics, which was comparatively more conservative than Marvel. Take, oh, I don't know, Batgirl, for instance. We may not know Bar- Barbara's political affiliation, but we do see her being engaged in activism, helping people vote, even people who are routinely discouraged by the conservative party to affect change in their communities. There are scenes of her voters wheeling people out of their homes to vote. Batman becomes more of a thoughtful character, incorporating a mix of detective skills and martial arts to combat crime with less violence than Silver Age. Later on, the question changes from a conservative objectivist to a near pacifist, incorporating a Zen-like philosophy. What Ian is saying isn't untrue. These characters can only go so far in their politics, but that doesn't negate the strides they've made throughout history that have been political. I didn't even mention the first appearance of John Stewart, which is anything but subtle. The problem is that framing politics and especially activism as a biased indulgence that would drive away readers, well, it hasn't ruined the comics industry yet. Of course, activism has been largely foundational in this country's development. As Justin Pearson said earlier this month when getting expelled for protesting the Tennessee Capitol against gun violence, America was founded on a protest. This is celebrated every year during July 4th. The women's movement was a protest. Stonewall Uprising was a protest that put a huge spotlight on gay rights country. The civil rights movement was a protest. The George Floyd murder resulted in protests around the world advocating for race justice. To dismiss activism as useless because people who have money make the rules is, to my mind, horrendously short-sighted and does not truthfully engage in history. And things like diversity, exploration of class, and inequality are a kind of protest as well. Stephanie Brown being a teenage mother with a criminal father and addict mother and her being a hero is a type of activism even if Chuck Dixon most certainly didn't intend for it to be. It shines a light on realities that people in this country face. The world is far less recognizably distinct in black and white colors than we grew up thinking now at the internet and the information age. I could go on, but maybe Ian would like to continue this conversation on questions we don't have answers. Sorry for the rant. Feel free to get a drink of water after reading this on the show. Yeah, I'm about to. Yes, I forwarded that to Ian and Ian did in fact come on to quinoa this month yes in may so you can go and get that i think it's called harmony i can't remember what it is but yeah ian converses with don and harry about the three topics are gun control the sexual revolution and i think just conservatives and politics in general so there you go any thoughts on that particular email not too much. I, I definitely agree with Donovan, though I, I could see what Ian was trying to get at during that episode. I remember listening to that. I think Ian was coming at it from, I, I could see where Ian was coming at it from, you know, to me, it sounded like he's coming from it from like uh, an economical perspective or a business perspective being like, hey, as as a company that publishes books and we need to make money to survive, we're going to keep things really general and not, not reference specific issues or do anything that's going to be too off-putting to the mainstream or that's not going to let us capture the greatest audience possible possible because that's how we make money and that's how we stay in business and that's how we survive and we support people, support the people who work for us and support ourselves, which I, I, I interpret as what Ian was getting at, you know, and I see that, but, you know, Donovan, he listed, you know, great examples of when there yeah. were controversial things put in comics. Yeah. That's all. I, yeah, I don't know. You know, when I look at Barbara Gordon, there's like no way, and obviously, you know, it's a biased uh, viewpoint, but I just feel like there's no way that that lady is, is conservative leaning with the things that uh, she's done got again. But yeah, and, and with that activism, ta- I mean, Donovan certainly spoke better than I did 
on uh, the podcast um, just because I was a little I was shocked to hear, uh, you know, sort of that that viewpoint. But, um, you know, maybe I think sometimes people have this idea of and Donovan used the word protest, but like activism just be like marching and hold signs. But even the good professor Carolyn Cook has said like activism is really anything active. So, you know, at the very base, like voting is activism, like anything that's trying to institute change. And I just like shudder at the thought of what this country would be like with I mean, it's not in a good place necessarily, but just like where different people groups be like, even me, like I, I would not be here speaking to you if like there was not activism in, in any sort of form. So you wrote in an email. <laughs> would you like to read your email so that sure. I can take a break? Yes, I am more than happy to read my email. Thank this you. is like a great honor. Oh, is my email in. I'm going to read my email. Yes. What a blessing. Okay. (laughs) Okay. BFF Stella. I feel like I must clarify my last email and my thoughts about BOP number 68. With all due respect to Ian, I think he misunderstood me. First, I agree with his point that one of the strengths of Simone's run is her character writing, especially of women. That is one of the main reasons why I love her BOP run and her Batgirl run. I think she does a great job writing relatable and flawed women. I also agree with his point that slut shaming still exists to this day. My point in my email had to do specifically with the portrayal of slut-shaming in popular media. I think the portrayal in popular media was much more common around the time this issue was published, hence why I said number 68 felt of its time. I was by no means dismissing the messy and complicated realities of being a woman. Trust me, I am one. And I have slut-shamed, I've been slut-shamed, I've hurt people because of my own trauma and vice versa. And I very much believe in the importance of having stories that don't shy away from the bad and ugly of the human experience. I prefer them. Nor was I suggesting that number 68 is, was simply a dating comic. Though, to be fair, I can only guess what Ian meant by this, because I'm not too familiar with the term myself. Anyway, I wanted to clear that up, because I think Ian and I probably agree more than we disagree. Batgirl's number 17. It feels strange to say, but I'm kind of sad that this series is going to end in a couple months. It really seemed to be getting better overall. This issue in particular, I thought was really good. It felt like there was a lot at stake. I also feel invested in Grace, and I'm curious to see where she ends up at the end of all of this. The gun violence in this issue demands more serious tone, that's for sure. It feels quite different from anything the writers have given us in this run, and I quite like it. I really appreciated your thoughtful questions in Ian's nuanced answers about gun violence and activism. Shana. Now you know what it's... (laughs) Do you feel like slut-shaming, it comes from a place of internal misogyny when it's coming from women? Hmm. I don't know, I guess. I guess I'm going to kind of try to articulate this in my answer where I think slut shaming comes from because I'm not sure. I think it's always complicated to know what's internal misogyny and what might well, maybe it is internal misogyny. Because I guess what I was going to say is sometimes I think it's just the culture around you. But I guess if the culture is misogynistic, it internalizes that in you. And that's how it happens. So maybe, maybe I do. I guess I do. I think it can also come from other places too, though. Like, I, I think it's complicated. And, you know, kind of what I remember Ian was talking about in response to my first email. And then what I kind of wanted to address there was... I think it can come from trauma and stress too. And sometimes it can just be a way to hurt someone. And I guess whether that, that at the end of the day, you can be reductionist and reduce that down to internal misogyny. Maybe. I don't know. 
And I, I, I think it's so complicated. I'm no, not it sure is complicated. Really articulate. It's complicated. Yeah, so, I didn't I'm ask. Sorry, uh, no, no, no. I think that's, that's like a podcast on its own, to be honest. And to, yeah, uh, it's really interesting. And obviously, there's a double standard, obviously, because, you know, men are hoeing yeah. about and there and this has been happening for centuries. Uh, but as soon as the women, you know, try to go out on their own, um, it seems really so. Yeah. Uh, yes. No, it's very complicated. I don't think I have. Yeah. I, I, and I also, I, I just try to be really careful with what I say. I think it's easy to yes. dismiss things or say, or make them seem more simple than they are. And so I, I don't have too much to say on that, I suppose. Yeah. That reason. Yeah. And, you know, I am in this really weird situation where my former students are adults now. And so I know way more about their sex lives than I potentially would. I really, I would not. I would not. I feel blessed that they trust me. Like, I'm glad that I would, you know, I am that presence in their life and that they don't feel judged for me, especially because, hey, I taught them in a in a Christian school there. And for me, engaging those topics, because they know that that's not, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be going out and doing these things. I just ask questions. I just ask questions. I always wa- am careful of my tone, just because I don't ever want it to be perceived as, you know, as a judgment. And I will even say, like, after I ask a question, I'm like, this is no, I'm just like asking for information, all that stuff. And really, first and foremost, I just want to know that my girls are being safe and that they are safe and that partners that they're with are treating them well um, and kindly. And that and that's really, you know, at the end of the day, that's all I care about. So it's been it's been very interesting. It's been interesting. I told Donovan at one point, like, I've been collecting V cards like Pokemon cards because it's just like they're telling me these stories and like I taught you as an eighth grader but yeah you know in no way would I think even though you know I know a couple that have had multiple partners I would never look at that person like you should not so that's just not my concern right now it's their life it's their life to live it are you being safe um and are you being treated well that's all I care about yeah I think uh people if they if if you know it's consensual and that's what they want and then yeah and they're not hurting anyone else correct it's their business yeah it is their business except maybe in your case it's your business yes it's also (laughs) my business yeah well i mean if they ask me questions or if they're telling me stuff then i'll just ask you know all sorts of questions and then i feel like i was talking actually with a friend of mine and because i'm so used to now getting all this information i didn't get any information from her and she and this was this is a um a colleague and i was so shocked that she wasn't telling me everything or anything really and i was like this is like a weird feeling i'm so used to someone like being open and, and talking about this she she just did not she's like cry and um she was shocked that i was engaging in that she's like i'm so like you stella that's asking this i'm like really like she was just weirded out i'm like i guess i've just evolved as a pokemon <laughs> that my i used to be very with base like not puritanical but you know just very like don't talk to me about it and now it's more like oh yeah i'll, I'll absolutely engage in conversation which i think is is uh good and healthy okay last one is from my good friend Tom. This is the last one. Stella, once again, a great episode and great coverage. I'm interested in seeing what you think of War Games because at the exact moment, 
that approved, I guess maybe is what I'm thinking about. Uh, that is the exact moment I dropped Batman completely. <laughs> and with the exception of picking up Nightwing at various times of the years, have read very little of the main Bat title. A quick current events check. I haven't read this issue of Batgirl, so I may be off here, but the shooting you described sounded like the writers may have been pulling from the 4th of July parade shooting in Highland Park, Illinois, last year, 2022. The DC sniper shooting doesn't really fit here. Anyway, I wanted to write in to comment on the question of whether or not superheroes can be activists. On your show, Ian made a point about how they shouldn't because of the way that writers and the publisher should not want alienate fans. I understand where he's coming from, especially considering if you look at superheroes as intellectual property and not human characters, but I disagree with the idea that they cannot or should not be activists at time. While the goal of these comic books is to entertain and you certainly would not want to alienate your audience, always aiming for neutral ground when addressing current events, politics, cultural issues shows a particular weakness on the part of the writer and publisher. If certain members of your audience cannot realize that literature and culture do not happen in vacuum, that's on them. I know I'm sounding dismissive here, so feel free to take that as well. Having a superhero or other comic book character address stand up for or champion a cause can be done well or it can be done terribly just like in any form of entertainment. Some of the more terrible examples of this are when stories veer into very special episode territory or when the writers are clearly shoehorning in an issue on which they have clear feelings and opinions. When they do this, they often twist the characters to fit what they want to say and that doesn't work for me. If you have your characters act completely out of character or the tone of the work is completely incongruous to every other issue of the book, then you're not doing job. Plus, there are characters who have been activists for their entire existence. Would Ian want Wonder Woman to not stand for feminism and the need for women to be empowered and not feel they need to be protected by a man? I certainly wouldn't considering how powerful a symbol she has been for her 80 years public. Keep up the good work, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Any thoughts on uh, little Tom Tom's uh, email? Yeah, uh, just that very well thought out. I'd agree with all that. I think he kind of touched on what I was talking about with like intellectual property versus versus character. But yeah, yeah it was very and well I, thought yeah. out. And I appreciate the current events check with the Highland Park. I can always rely on him uh, as well. Oh, I think that's it. My word. Oh, no. There was last one. <laughs> my my chief <laughs> style correspondent, <laughs> Professor Allen Roden. He said, uh, Stella, listening to this episode with Ian Prime, I heard the call for my opinion on Steph hair on the cover of Batgirl 53. I like it. Pulled back for work with some flowing down the side of her face and against the black of the characters behind her, both the red in her outfit and her hair pop very nicely. Thank you for keeping me on the payroll and seeking out input on my various range of X. And then says, P.S. On the political stuff, I tend to be on hashtag team Ian Prime. Okay. Well, remember, you can always write in Batgirl.com or post on the YouTube. That's also possible. And Twitter sometimes comes to me. I think that's that's me. Yeah. Well, we're all lubed up on our end. So we're going to take a break. I mean, I still don't know what that means. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, it'll be the shorter side of that. This has gone on for a while. Uh, it's going to be much shorter. We're just going to look at Batgirls 18. I realize I've skipped a couple Nightwings. Don't worry. I'm sure they'll come back. But first, it is Zias's Radio Hour featuring Way of Nature, Way of Grace by Allie and AJ, another one, and featuring uh, Joy Oladokun as well. See you soon. There are two ways through life, the way of nature and the way of grace. And it's days like these that feel like heaven when I see your face. In the whole of time I've blinked but once I'm blinded by your light. Say, I wish we had more time I was caught up in the beauty 
Welcome back. So we're going to cover back rolls 18. And because I always like to supply myself with free labor, I am not doing the recap. So Shani can take that over. All right. So the summary for back girls 18. While investigating an old saint's hideout, the Batgirls meet with Officer Brooks to look at a letter that the sniper has sent to the GCPD. In the letter, the sniper demands the GCPD arrest and prosecute the Batgirls or risk the safety and livelihood of more Gotham City citizens. Unfazed, Bab, Steph, and Cass return to the clock tower, unwilling to turn themselves in. They decide to lie low for the time being. Meanwhile, Commissioner Montoya sends Brooks to the sniper Sniper's Nest, where he is eventually visited by Barbara, in disguise, who gives him a flash drive containing a deep fake of Steph and Cass turning themselves into the GCPD. Brooks and Babs also discover an overlooked bullet hole, suggesting the presence of a second shooter. At the Gotham City Dam, Steph and Cass get some encouragement from Batman before leaving to stop a robbery at the Clover Credit Union, called in by none other than Alicia, 
Steph and Cass successfully stop the robbery without revealing themselves. When they return to their loft, Babs calls and tells them to switch on the TV. On the local news, Steph and Cass watch themselves in full Batgirls gear be escorted by the GCPD as the voice of the newscaster states that they have given in to the sniper's demands and turned themselves in. Later that evening, Grace visits an unconscious Rocky in the hospital. Still grieving and still blaming herself, Grace records a new podcast episode sharing her feelings about Rocky and the shooting. Inspired by her right-hand man, Grace organizes a protest and marches down the streets of the hill in defense of the Batgirls. That's Batgirls 18 in a nutshell. There you go. Thank you. And you did it Tom Panarese style because he also writes in a notebook. Cool. I didn't realize that. I loved it. I love writing by hand. Yeah. Very anti-tech and all Well, that's good. That wasn't apparent enough at this point. Yeah, well, it's good because uh, you'll never be attacked by Brainiac. Good point. (laughs) So if I were to start with this cover here, uh, seems like the cover's a spoiler question mark. Because I was waiting for Gun Bunny and Gun Hawk to appear in the issue, and they sure don't, nor were they named. So thoughts on what happened here? Lack of communication? Yeah, I'm guessing it was a spoil. It's a spoiler. Maybe it was a mistake. I was very confused by this cover. And then, yeah, when they didn't show up in the issue, it's just like, okay. And I generally really enjoy, I've enjoyed the Corona covers, but this one I'm like, yeah. And I guess maybe because like Steph and Cass are just kind of in the back. You don't really see them. So sad about that. Yeah, there were a couple of cool vintage, not vintage, variant covers, but uh, I showed this one. My only thought is that maybe the timeline or their script was slightly different or what they were asking for before they knew that their book was being canceled. And so the issue, the cover is like accelerating that timeline, whereas the internal does not. That's the only thing I can think of. But this is like a really bad communication error because now it's like, I guess they're going to be revealed in the ultimate issue and it should have been a shock and now it's not. So Unless this is an entire mystery direct or all or really poor planning and it turns out uh, yeah. we don't see it. Maybe the snipers are someone else. Maybe it is. I mean, the entire issue, <laughs> they keep talking about a CC, that a CC is the most likely Oh yeah, that's for right. the sniper. So maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> this is a misreact. Yes, but even Barbara doesn't feel very confident in that assessment. You find that out. is true. Now it has been a long time, so they kept saying that Assisi's missing. He's still at large, and I was like, where, where did we see this last? And so I had to do some research. I actually did on my end, and so Backrolls eight with that whole mission to help see her out in the iceberg lounge. He is at large at the end, but I do think an editor's note would have actually been nice there is one in here but it was just a see last issue one but here it would have been nice and i guess uh cc is also in a portion of catwoman number 45 she interacts with the back which i didn't even know about okay where to begin where to begin now i will say because alicia pops up here i don't know if you have any opinions on alicia but i tweeted out because donovan said oh her wife appears in this i was like oh my gosh finally her wife appears he was thinking this issue this this first i i so too. And actually. so, but that is not no, her not. life. Okay, it could be. It's not though. Given her, so. like, as she leaves the bank, where would her wife be? Why is she at the clock tower? So I tweeted the writers and I said, I have to know where's Alicia's wife. Okay. It was retweeted by Donovan. It was the tweet was liked by Michael W. Conrad. 
but no one responded. Liking my tweet is not an answer. I don't think that they know Alicia has a wife. I may have been the first to tell them. Might be true. Might be I'm, true. I, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, because Kate and Maggie were not allowed to get married, you kind of have to hold on to like, oh, look, two lesbians got get together and get married in these comics. But now it's like erased because Alicia is just hanging out with her gal pal as if she doesn't have a wife at home. So it's very unfortunate. So unanswered, uh, I can retweet that out, but that's probably going to seem passive aggressive. So I guess I'll just let it lie dead. And maybe if I have them on to interview at, at the end of you know their arc, which I would like to ask, uh, maybe I'll ask them point blank if where, where her wife is. Okay. Oh, this whole story, does it, have you seen the Chris Nolan Batman films? Yes. Okay. Did this at all seem eerily familiar to the Dark Knight where Joker is saying, I think it's Joker saying that, um, you know, he's going to kill citizens until Batman reveals himself, that sort of thing? It did not. I, okay. that, that did not remind me of that. Okay. okay. Portrayal of Montoya. Some people are upset. Some people, well, that's all I hear about is that Donovan told me people are upset. Do you have any thoughts on Montoya's portrayal as commissioner in this particular comic and how she's very anti-vigilantes? I don't mind it, but I also didn't see her as her being anti-vigilante. She does seem to, in that conversation she has with Brooks, it's almost like she, I, I think she's in a real tough spot as commissioner. And so she can't, she can't be on the record saying she sides with the Batgirls and sides with vigilantes. But I do feel like she kind of gives Brooks, she kind of lets it pass with him. And even though, you know, she makes these comments about taking that kind of initiative to like go get the letter to them and all that. She's acting like she doesn't approve of it. And I think on the record, she can approve it, but uh, she doesn't outright tell them. At least I don't remember her outright saying anything like, Hey, we should not side with the bat or we should get them in here. We, it feels like she was kind of being ambiguous on purpose, I guess, because she's in a position where she she can't be on the record saying she supports vigilantes because of her position as commissioner. But it doesn't mean like she can't allow the people under her to do that, even if it's just sort of hush hush, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I kind of got that vibe from this conversation that yeah, they have. Yeah, she wasn't she outright. She wasn't outright telling Brooks, no, and we can't, but being more like, well, I'll. It's, I'm not necessarily gonna like let you off the hook, but I'll also maybe turn my eyes away from mm. from any you do. But I think yeah. she could be a lot stricter with him if she really felt that way, or she could be more verbal about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they've gotten into before. Yeah, she does say it's a bad look for the department yeah. to be signing them. Does not do it, and she does seem like a jerk just because she puts him in wherever crow's nest or thing, the sniper's nest, and he's closing it on 16 hours. But I wondered if she knew like this would be a good opportunity to. Uh, meet up with the back girls yeah if, if that i don't know if she knew or not yeah i just noticed from this image that there's an art error can you spot the art error the art error putting you on the spot i guess think I about barbara gordon and her birds of prey yeah well the only thing i can think of that's weird is but i think this has been i don't want to say retcon but i feel like it's not paid attention to anymore but are you talking about the handles on the wheel oh the back of the yeah yeah 
Has yeah, that not still paid been, attention? I haven't been paying attention to that in this series. Has that still been prevalent where there's usually not handles on the back? I feel like more often than not, I catch this mistake now mm-hmm. that there are handles. Yeah. I can't say when the last time was, but we know that her ability of her legs is kind of up and down in the fit run. That's so. true. Oh, Batman says a nice word. He says uh, that he's proud. He's proud of Steph. He's proud of them both. So sometimes Batman isn't a jerk. Always sometimes. Happy. But <laughs> so I have a question about oh. this for you. Yeah. Because I, so before they go visit Batman, Barbara talks about him having a tip for them, but mm-hmm. I don't know what that tip is because all we see is this moment of encouragement. Yes, I agree. But do you know what the tip is? No, the tip was I was also wondering because no. of this. Uh, they have zero clues. And then he just talks about the trick. Anything else? Oh, helping. Nope, there was no tip relate. So I think that was a writing error. Uncurable case of imposter syndrome because here she's asking for validation. Are you sure I did okay? Stealth isn't exactly my strong dude. And Cass does validate her and say no one saw no one saw you. You're better than you think, Cass. Oh, uh, Steph. It, I mean, what, put yeah, one I, issue away from the end. What, what What's Steph going to be like at the end of Backrolls 19? Still wondering, do I belong on this team? Yeah, I mean, it just, it, it just feels old at this point. Like, like, like she got encouragement from Batman. Batman was like, I'm proud of you. And now she's still doubting herself. And yeah. Cass talks about learning from her, but we never really got to see that. Mm-mm. Like there were examples of that. That would have been really cool to see if we could see the ways Cass could have learned from Stephanie yeah. too. I guess she learned to <laughs> be fun. Cause I mean, we see um, her in that unicorn. <laughs> One, but she, I can't remember what that was that you got at the first. That was from the first issue, though. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't yeah. necessarily because of Steph or anything. Yeah, do you like Stephanie's shirt? So I, I have two minds about it. Uh, one, I like it because it's Black Canary and I love Black Canary. But two, I really don't like the self-referential merchandise and t-shirts <laughs> I used to see a lot now. Like, I get it. It's a joke. And, yeah. and why wouldn't you have merchandise for your superheroes and, you know, this story? Because it's a capitalist society and stuff. But I the, super, the self-referential stuff just, like, it almost takes me out of the story because uh... then I just feel like I'm I'm really just like consuming a product, not like a story. So I do enjoy it. I feel like this is the first time I've seen it in this book, but I do have fun with it when I see it in Nightwing because that's <laughs> frequently where, where I see it. So the back rolls turn themselves in, but I guess the sniper's okay with two thirds of the back rolls and doesn't question that Barbara did not turn her, or the, you know, the redheaded <laughs> one did not turn herself in. Yeah, I had the same question. I even went back to issue 17 to make sure there were three bullets, like I counted correctly and there yeah. were. So I I don't know why Barbara is not part of this deep fake. Yep. And then Grace, which you said in your email, you're interested in seeing this happen. So here we learn because it seemed like she had taken a drink in the previous issue because the bottle right. was open and the glass filled, but she doesn't, or she says that she hasn't taken a drink. So it's been very hard. Is Grace giving Rocky a little too much credit here. Is this a lot of say but not show uh, with these characters? I mean, I don't really recall him ever pushing back on what she did or said, but she's given him a lot of credit. Yeah, I think so. I think it would have been really great 
to have seen this develop throughout the last 17 issues. It's kind of like with Grace's alcoholism too. It would have been nice if we saw the negative impacts that had on her life before she got sober. It would have made that moment feel stronger, just like I think this moment could feel stronger if we saw more of that relationship Mm -hmm. between them and him being the person she says he is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think it was his responsibility to do an intervention? I don't think it was his responsibility to do an intervention, mostly because I don't even remember him being that distinctive of a character or caring about her really beyond just like working together in the first place. Not since like last issue, I was was like, oh, this, okay, (laughs) because that was here all along. So I don't think he was responsible for an intervention or Grace being sober, but... He could have been if that was something they, if they wanted to write it in, they could have again written that relationship to, they could have shown that relationship more early on. And yeah, they, that could have been a great way to, to do it with grace and alcoholism. Yes. Yeah. Cause I mean, the drinking was seated very early on. I think it was, yeah, even it was outside of this book when we first saw her in whatever the lead up to, to bad rolls. And I am glad that it took this trajectory in terms of like, Oh, we're treating this seriously because I was starting to get annoyed with kind of the flippant attitude of her drinking. It was all about jokes. And even Cass was like, <laughs> well, that, that lady's messed up. I'm like, Maybe you should something about that. So yeah. here, here we have it. But yes, it and it ends in as as I would like it to end. Of course, well, whoever that is. Well, I guess it's Gun Bunny in some uh, some activism, some marching. So free the back row, defend the hill. We are all back row. Any other thoughts on this issue? Yeah. What do you think before we get to seeing Grace the protest? And she's got the podcast recordings going in. So what do you think about this moment where she's loading the shotgun? What's that? What's what's going on there? (laughs) I am concerned. During when we see her protesting, I'm like, she's not holding a shotgun. I don't know where she hide a shotgun. Mm. So what's why is she loading it? I'm not sure. So I imagine. So there's a total disconnect because I thought that there was going to be a violent protest happening. Because mm-hmm. you go from here and then the next time. So I thought, oh, my gosh, is, is she's, they're about to violently seize back the hill. That sort of thing. And then we, oh, no, no, we don't have that. So I'm a bit confused why she has it. What's going to happen? Maybe it's in her back pocket. I assume this is the gun that she bought from the gang that looks like the mutants uh, in the previous issue. But I, yeah, I'm worried that it's going to get out of control uh, and something bad's going to go down. We only have one issue left. So I'm, I don't know how this, maybe Grace is going to play a really big part, but is someone going to die in the next issue? Like a, a member of the community and it's going to be Grace Fall. And then what does that, I, yeah, I'm worried. Well, I guess this is, this is again, very topical and you know how, if we do want to protest or be activists, is there a right way to go about it and a wrong way to go about it? And it, does she think that this is maybe the right way or is this just backup and protection in case something's down? Cause she's choosing to hold a sign for, but she's also, so she's painted a tar- literally painted a target on herself. So maybe she's trying yeah. to be bait and then help the back girls out by shooting the perpetrator. Zuh. 
I don't know. Do you have thoughts since you asked the question? I don't. I don't know, but I'm interested to find out. It's what I what I really like about this arc that was started in the last issue was I think I think it's 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 doing a good job in, in painting sort of a really complicated picture and just sort of there's multiple angles and you brought it up yourself just now about you know peaceful protest violent protest you know this is a gun for self-defense is the gun the gun for something more insidious and then you also have to you know consider the deep fake so you had that image of steph and Cass turning themselves in and renee making that statement but we know that didn't really happen, but I assume Grace is reacting to that, obviously, because it's like, we need to free the Batgirl. So what's going to happen next issue when Renee Montoya is like, what? I They didn't turn themselves into me because I assume she's she's not right. going to know. Yeah. Right. Because the flash drive, and I assume, and I didn't realize that till this morning when I wrote the summary, but that flash drive Barbara gives Officer Brooks, I assume was the deep fake. To, to, to air. I That's not explicitly stated, but I don't know what else that flash drive would be. So like, I think Officer Brooks is in on it, but I doubt he told Montoya. But how can the So what's going to happen next issue? Yeah. What was that? Well, sorry to interrupt you. That's okay. I just wondered how the commissioner could not be aware of what's going on in her own office, especially because she made, she headed a press conference. Yeah, but was that part of the deep fake? That's oh. what I'm wondering. Oh, I think interesting. it's part of the deep fake because I, I don't think I don't think Montoya would because they didn't actually turn themselves in. So unless Montoya is in on it, which I guess from this issue, I would just assume she wasn't. Mm -hmm. But maybe she is. Maybe we'll find out next issue she is. I don't know. There's a lot of interesting questions that it'll be cool to see the answers to next issue if they even get answered. Who knows? Who knows? It's just crazy that this is the last art and next issue is the last issue. It's been a wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And look, I found a little purple box. Those have really calmed down. This one just gives us a location. I loved the purple boxes this issue because (laughs) they just gave locations and nothing else. And I was like, that's fine. I don't. That's another question. Any inner thoughts? Yeah, I would love to ask the writers about Perpok. I wonder if they got some notes about toning it down. <laughs> yeah, and they listened to my show where I asked, who's writing Purple Box? <laughs> this is kind of just totally, it's more or less just superficial, but it okay. really bothers me. What do you think about Grace's eye patch? Oh, how it, the eye like, patch. goes under her hair. Is that... That like makes no sense to me, but Interesting. shouldn't it go over her hair? Like, how does it hold stay? How does it cling to her head if it's, I don't I know. That's true. Well, it's hot. I mean, I have an eye patch that I use for Halloween. <laughs> okay. So I, could, I could try that out later <laughs> and then I'll let the people and know. And then let me know because but, it really yeah. is to me. I think it's possible. Uh, yeah. Maybe it depends on the haircut. Yeah. One side is easier than the other, like this, her left side. You would think, I think it does need to peek out somehow. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, uh, okay. I'll let you know. I'll let the people know <laughs> if it's, uh, if it's feasible. But I, yeah, I think a lot of it, I think the ears are probably going to take a lot of brunt of the, the rubber band. I guess so. Yeah. 
Any other superficial? Okay, no, that was that was all. <laughs> I think it might be possible, but I can't. Okay, that, that's all I wanted to know. Okay. I'm not that smart, so I'm just like, well, uh, no. maybe I can't understand how this works. Yeah, no, I think it's a valid criticism, and I appreciate you bringing it to the <laughs> fore. I do appreciate that. Now, out of ten cup news, what would you give this? I. I give this like a solid six. A solid six? Yeah, yeah. The bar is low, low for bad <laughs> girls. As much as I love these Ooh, issues, yeah. the bar is still low. So this is like a six, which is pretty high for my bad girls ratings. <laughs> yeah. The Joe absence looms large. Yeah, I'm vacillating between six and a half and a seven. I, I'm always a little more generous on this one. So, no, a 6.75 out of 10 cup news I guess. So, yes, very interesting. I can't believe the next one. And we're spoiled. We're spoiled as to who the villains are. So that's unfortunate for us. Uh, well, we're making our way. We're so lubed up. Are you reading anything currently that you would like to recommend? I currently, it's pretty good. I actually have it on my desk right here. This is for a book club I'm in. It's called The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi. I'm pronouncing that correctly. I apologize. It might be a little incorrect in my pronunciation. It's like a, I feel like pirates and fantasy. It's about a female Muslim pirate. Okay. And uh, it's a cool adventure and it's pretty well written. Interesting adventure story. Kind of gives me a little Odyssey vibe. Oh. For the classics people. Yeah. So we like those. It's pretty good so far. I mean, I've okay. only read a third of it, but I like it. And then uh, I always read a fiction and a nonfiction at the same time. And right mm-hmm. now I'm reading this nonfiction. It's called Code 2.0. And it's all about the development of the internet okay. and sort of legal considerations and considerations with law about sort of the or future regulations that are may come about as okay. you know technology develops and mm-hmm. the internet develops and stuff with anonymity and stuff like that okay now is this does this give you nightmares a little bit okay <laughs> a little bit you weren't fully knowing how you were gonna react but you pursued it yeah it it, it was exactly what i wanted because i i mean i remember i was i've been on the internet since the 90s and i was a kid and it's very different now and so how things have changed where it used to be a space that was very anonymous and kind of everyone assumed there was this anonymity and now since social media which is this huge like turning point you see that it's becoming less and less about anonymity and so now there are all these interesting arguments and debates about how you can how you can hold people accountable online by not letting them be anonymous, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting to sort of follow that, especially as like an adult now and remembering what it was like. Do you have any opinions on cancel culture? We don't. I we, do. I, I do. Mean, that's also I, a whole thing. I but. do, but that is maybe that's not an appropriate thing to talk about. <laughs> I mean, well, that's how the anonymous. I mean, that is a regulation there. That's keeping holding people accountable to it. It is, and I think I think when you look at sort of social media and how it how it gives people a platform and access to, you know, arguably thousands and millions of people, it's important to consider the ramifications of of giving people a platform of that size and then not being held accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very different, you know, because back in the day, we got our news via the radio or the television. 
It was centralized. It was apparently journalism was more researched. You had stuff like the FCC to keep things regulated. So appropriate, appropriate content was, was only allowed. You know, those, you had certain regulations in place. Whether you agree with those regulations or not is a whole nother discussion. But when you can go on Twitter, you can amass a following of, you know, a million people or like 50,000 people and you can say whatever you want. And people will listen to you. That can have that has huge ramifications because you could just be spitting out mm-hmm. nothing that's researched, nothing that's fact checked, and then that influence that has on society. Because now you have this this fault, this huge base that's just taking your word for it and mm-hmm. assuming that you have all the correct data. Did any of that make sense of what oh, I no, said? Like I no, can't I mean, articulate yes. any of this. It's another big because topic. I was not was not prepared to talk about. This. I know. Yes. Thank you. Welcome to my show, where I ask questions <laughs> that you are not aware that you're about to answer. This is all you know. Internal misogyny, cancel culture. You'll come back on for full episodes on those. Yes, I I got into a debate. What were we talking about? It must have been uh, like a find your joy sort of episode that I did with Harry and on for their show quinoa and it was like a more positive thing and i said just like three things that um you can kind of I think one was like someone that you really like you know that could be like on idol you know you could kind of put them up there something that you like that is problematic and then something that you like always go back to that is that brings you joy so what i always go back to i said gilmore girls and you got mail um which i can just watch you've got mail <laughs> console i don't know i just love that film and and gilmore girls i can hop around as i want and, and rewatch things uh something i like that's problematic is gone with the wind and then i talked <laughs> about uh megan rapino and we did talk about like twitter and and like um canceling came up and i think harry's like very anti-canceling i can't remember what donovan's thing is and i said you know canceling can become a problem but i do think it holds people accountable but i think there needs to be an opportunity for redemption so i think it goes back to that so if people recognize like they said this terrible thing and they recognize that and they own it and also apologize to the parties that are involved i think that there's no reason why they couldn't be brought back into the fold if it's consistent behavior that's a whole nother conversation but just the thought that you could get x out of society you know is an interesting thought of like maybe you should be more careful with your word and what being said i i agree with you i think i think it kind of has to be looked at from a case case by case basis and you can't just be like like, yes, God forbid someone said something bad when they were young and didn't right. know anything. Yeah. Like, just imagine how much you change as a person when you grow. Yeah. And just imagine all the insensitive things you've said. Like, I know I've said so 100%. many things I would never say now. Yeah. And to be held accountable for that and to lose your livelihood, like, that is death. That is execution. So I think you have to be yeah. case by case basis. And yeah. it's not to not hold people responsible, but I don't want to live in a world where you can't redeem yourself yeah because i'm irredeemable we're all irredeemable at that point yeah no doubt yeah i mean i i certainly yeah from a personal standpoint as well like even if you go back in my archives you know i started this in 2010 i was i didn't have the same political mind that i do now or like the same peoples that i you know interact with now or care about now are not the same people back then like undoubtedly i said racist things absolutely on spider-man crawl space my intent may have been different but the impact is is still the same and and I've owned up to that and then I was I probably would consider this transphobic of like how I spoke about Alicia when she first came onto the page mm-hmm. and that's like 
very different now. So absolutely. And I think back to that and I think I've, you know, probably apologize and everything, but just thinking that someone starting off in 2010 might click off immediately because of that stuff and was like, but wait, you know, here's where I am now. So you absolutely have to own up to it and, and apologize and, oh, yeah. and just move forward and learn from that. Educate. And then, oh, I remember what it was now. So Natalie Portman had recently been talking about, I guess the Time's Up organization is like shutting down. And because there's like some scandal, because I guess some of the board members were like in the past affiliated with Andrew Cuomo or something like that. Um, I don't have the details to up now. But she was even talking about that. Like that it's really hard because, you know, if someone makes a mistake in the past, it's now like taken down an entire thing that has served a great purpose. Uh, so where is kind of that redemption there? So I think that just, I mean, I don't know if they've like owned up to that or what that personal thing is, but I'm like, oh yeah, that is problematic. Uh, I don't think I have any more other big questions for you. Any other reading? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're nearly done. Uh, any other reading recommendations? No, that's okay. that's what I got. That's what I've been reading lately. Recommend both. Okay. Especially, yeah, the code 2.0 if you are okay. interested in like regulation of the internet and yeah, check it out. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's kind of related, but I was playing video games with Harry one night and I was talking about socialism because socialism doesn't seem so bad to be honest but I was talking about it and uh, I don't fully know everything about it but just from what I've seen and then later that week I got a text that asked me to take a uh, a survey on socialism so I was scared that <laughs> I did not take I did not take it um, I just deleted it swiftly but I was like oh my gosh it's just listening to me what if like the federal agents burst down my door because I talked about socialism being a uh, it might happen I mean have have you gotten those personalized YouTube ads ads from stuff you've been talking about i i have a co-worker she always we always joke about how much her mom loves pub cheese and then i started getting <laughs> pub cheese ads on youtube okay yeah scary it is scary, scary out it there is scary. big brother's watching yeah for sure for sure okay so for me i think the last one i talked about was 1619 project which i still recommend i read a play called potus or behind every great dumbass are seven women trying to keep him alive by <laughs> selena fillinger i highly recommend it. It does say my least favorite word, which is the C word multiple times, but there's a purpose to it. But still, I would love to be in this play if they performed it uh, around where I am. But it was very hilarious. One of my friends, former student who's living in New York City, got to see it with um, the people who were uh, Vanessa Williams and Julianne Huff. And yeah, there's a great cast in there. Also read Strangers on a Train by Patricia Highsmith and... I can't remember why I read that. Uh, I know that it was mentioned on something. It's like, oh, I should this. I think I've seen the film, but I kind of run and watch it. The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan, which was again recommended by my friend in New York City. And at first I had no idea where it was going. And then it got to a very scary place, um, kind of in a handmaid's tale, sort of speculative fiction where if CPS takes your child away, you have to go to this school to create these good mothers. And they give you this like robot child and like really terrible stuff is happening. Fathers are Oh, there were some fathers, but it was just, it was crazy. So I do recommend that, but it's also scary. A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan, which I don't recommend, but you can listen to Required Reading with Tom and Sal. Tom did, he, that was his pick, and he said with his sincerest apologies, he sent those to me after I was saying stuff about it. We both did not like it. You might like it because the, no, it sounds offensive <laughs> because I just said not nice things, but the characters are pretty flawed and realistic stick in that way, which I do know that you like because yeah. of the Sally Rooney. So maybe, maybe it's, it's, and it is interesting. The narrative is very, it's going all over the place. Each chapter is a different character. 
things are intertwining. Uh, it's not chronological um, kind of punk rock era stuff. But anyways, there you go. And then finally, Convergence by Zoreta Cordova, which is one of the Star Wars High Republic. And I really like this. I've, the High Republic has been a bit boring for me, but that one I liked. It wasn't as much about the Jedi than it was about, um, I think, political intrigue and these two worlds that are just embroiled in a never ending battle. And um, how do you solve that? And these two heirs coming together and, and getting married, which I felt was very topical with like Ukraine and Russia stuff. So I enjoyed it. Do you want anyone to find you? To find Absolutely not. Okay, that is fine. <laughs> that so, is the way I like it. No one can okay. find me on the internet. Okay, so do not <laughs> follow Shayna on the Twitters. Though I do know you're there because you trolled that, <laughs> one, that one day. <laughs> and boy, I people know that I hold on to things. I hold grudges. And so I remember that. Okay, well, you can <laughs> send, if you have comments, you can send them to me. I forwarded both of, actually, yeah, I forwarded yours and Donovan's to Ian. So, so if anyone has any comments to say about that, about you, I'll forward it. So send any questions yeah, or comments. Fine. Yeah, okay. To Backroll the Oracle at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook. Follow it on Twitter at Back Oracle. Subscribe to the show for uncut version where we talk about getting lubed up. Follow the Batman universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. <laughs> I mean, you know, support. Hey, I've got a male audience. I've got to keep keep them uh, tantalized. Support the Batman universe by subscribing and Patreon. And once again, thanks to my high comics for sponsoring back for the work of the Barbara Corner podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for being a constant writer in. And thank you for coming on and, and co-hosting this with me. Yeah, thanks, Stella. I hope I didn't drag too much mud <laughs> to this beautiful temple you've constructed to Barbara Gordon. That's, uh, well, you do have a problematic ship but we can address oh, that at a later <laughs> date we only allow people who ship yes. okay never mind take it back, take it back <laughs> what I said. no no it's okay it's okay now since we've gotten to that did okay. you find any eroticism in that image that you'd be like oh this is an example of the the last one basically of her like holding her in after the the brainiac separation that would give you evidence that this is a ship to have. Oh no, I totally admit that Dinah Babs is all subtextual. I don't <laughs> think there was any intention to make it canon. I don't think I don't really think anyone who is writing shipped them. I I just like the idea of them together. So Okay, okay. <laughs> You'll feel like I really disappoint you. But uh, you also knew that I love Gail Simone's Batgirl run. And I, I that definitely is know true. how you feel about that. So yes. I don't think you should be you, surprised. Yeah, you came in with many X's on the, <laughs> on the grade sheet there. So, well, we'll forgive you. We are all about redemption here on the podcast. So there we go. <laughs> Until next time. Fly on, Babs lovers. Woo! Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?